0: You're listening to Revenge of the Drive In, brought to you by Grandma Sophia's Podcast Network. This is the podcast where we cover two movies randomly selected from a list of over 1,700 and discuss if we think they make for a good double feature. This week's movies are the 1955 British science fiction classic The Quator Mass Experiment, as well as the 1955 sci fi monster cult movie Phenomenon that is Ed Wood's Bride of the Monster. I'm your host Patrick and I'm joined this time by a special guest.
1: Um, hello, my name is Kevin Barr, and it's nice to be here.
0: Well you certainly raised the bar for all future. Events. I,
1: I am going I to know. hear that my entire life. That's never I been know but
0: we don't usually give last names on here, that's why I oh, <laughs> felt I didn't like I had to that. say something. That doesn't matter.
1: I gotta say, um, Bride of the Monster. I was really happy to go online and find that the entire film was on its Wikipedia page. That's how it, that's, I. That. I just saw that right before we started recording this. That's because it's on
0: Tubi, obviously, but it's the colorized version on Tubi, which is kind of disappointing.
1: Oh. And
0: then yeah, of all things, the the Wikipedia. What is it? Just like a dot web five file or it's like some format that I've never come across before in my life and it's like oh it's yeah. on the Wikipedia page so clearly we're dealing with public domain here yep. <laughs> the
1: mark of quality anytime a film can be found on its Wikipedia page you know you're in for a treat.
0: Elephant in the Room of course is Bride of the Monster. It's featured on Mister Science Theater 3000 which is a show that Kevin I believe you are a big fan of.
1: Yeah I've been watching that since I was nine years old. I remember we rent. my brother was curious about what it was. So we found the movie in Blockbuster, the movie where they rifted this island earth. We brought it home. Occasionally, if we rented movies from Blockbuster, mm-hmm. my parents and I, we'd, they'd set up TV tables in front of the TV and we watched a movie while we ate. And I'll always remember it because I was laughing so hard and so consistently that I could not eat because I was kept laughing. And we ended up watching it about nine times over a five-day rental period. Oh, wow. I've been a big fan ever since then, and actually revisiting Bride of the Monster, I thought about just watching it raw, but I'm like, no, I'll go back Mm -hmm. to the Mystery Science Theater episode.
0: Yeah, I believe this was the first time I saw it without the Mystery Science Theater, and then out of curiosity, I watched it with the Mystery Science Theater as well. You know, I was a, a big Mystery Science Theater fan for a while. I believe you probably don't even know this, but... I think you kind of got me into it, but like, cause I think I had vaguely heard about it, but you were always posting about it on Facebook. Your Facebook name was Tom Servo. Yeah, right? for I a long after, time. I'm imagining that. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. right. And I didn't know what that was. But then I like checked it out and like kind of the summer between like high school and undergrad for me is when I really got into it. And looking back, it's it's kind of a interest that is sort of largely lost for me. I mean, I I, I will still enjoy like a really good episode, but I don't think like just throw on a random episode. I'm not going to be laughing my ass off. I've kind of grown away from that, I guess, at least. And I'm definitely a Mike guy at the Mm -hmm. Joel episodes, which is. Bride of the Monster is a Joel episode. Don't quite do it for me as much. That having been said, you know, I still have a fondness for the show.
1: Yeah, I for me, you know, I don't laugh out loud the same way I used to unless I like really tune in and like really pay attention right. to it. And I'm Oh yeah, for I, me if I laugh.
0: throw these on it's at the middle of night, you know, going to bed and it's just like on in the background. Same. Yeah. <laughs> and for me
1: for me it's it's because of that level of fondness like i could turn on any episode and it just feels a little bit like a warm hug you know they did the, oh, sure, they did the sure. revival for netflix and it doesn't have the same feel as it is because it's so much like a higher budget uh it was all it's the done comic
0: timing of, was just so different
1: yeah it's completely different but also like that was
0: the biggest thing for me
1: digging into it for me like i was thinking about why it's not working on the same level and for me it came down to i don't know but um maybe it's just me but they're la comics like they're mm-hmm. like they're west coast la comedians writing all these jokes as opposed to a bunch of guys in minnesota who are doing nothing else with their lives other than just like you know <laughs> watching these bad movies and writing jokes <laughs> yeah day in and day out like they uh-huh. like they really had the time to just craft this into a finely tuned machine whereas when you're in la you know you gotta hustle you gotta like try and become like the biggest comedian the world's ever seen you know but these guys they didn't care about that they just liked being around each other and like telling jokes
0: Yeah, there's like a, some kind of simplicity in in how the original show was. Yeah, and I agree. Like that, you kind of have to watch the two to to understand what you're talking about. But I think I do understand. Yeah, someone listening to us might have no idea what we're talking about. I've but I I've agree. never been to the Minnesota,
1: but I can guarantee you that like that there's something about the place there that like. Fix the sense of humor into a very particular kind of thing okay. that, like,
0: well, really I'll, I'll um, extend Wisconsin into there, my home state, of course, because Mike Nelson, I believe, a graduate of University of Wisconsin Stout. At least mm-hmm. I, he's wearing a UW Stout like sweatshirt oh, in yeah. the movie, I know. And yeah, we used to UW Stout is at least this was back in the day, I don't know if this is still true, but kind of notoriously is considered the worst university of the University of Wisconsin system. We used <laughs> to have a saying, you know, when in doubt, go to Stout. <laughs> or stout stout the easy way out and I, th- I think it's neat that mike nelson went there i love it
1: that's hilarious honestly I, that explains a lot of mike nelson um but yeah i actually <laughs> Maybe. because i do go to mystery <laughs> science theater for that warm hug feeling a lot of the times the joel episodes mm-hmm. are like a go-to for me not because i'm a joel guy necessarily okay. but because they're almost like more low-key and just have like a, a sort of charm an easy charm about them whereas the mike episodes are yeah, a lot more would, yeah. uh, sarcastic A lot more. um, Yes. I think it comes down
0: for me even even the movie choice like under mike they were doing more like 80s 90s like really low budget stuff joel was like more the 50s stuff which i like those movies but to me i want to see werewolf with all these people who have no <laughs> idea how to do an american accent you know like stuff like that like the, the types of movies or where they're making fun of joe estevez that kind of thing yeah is, is stuff i really uh, th- that's probably some of my favorite stuff on the well, show i
1: think that's actually the main difference uh between both of us because i i know you're a charles <laughs> ban fan you go on full moon direct uh <laughs> but i uh i am like i don't
0: like admitting that publicly but yeah <laughs>
1: But I can go, but I think I go a couple decades behind you, you know? I'm like uh, the Something Weird catalog and the stuff that, okay. Vinegar, the stuff that Vinegar Syndrome puts out. Ed. Wood well, you films. enjoy Herschel
0: Gordon-Lewis films. I do, yeah, I genuinely... I tend not to. I've seen one or two that I think are kind of be, but
1: yeah. <laughs> I've seen um, most of the Blood, almost all of the Blood series that he's done, and uh, a couple of his... <laughs> I didn't know there was a Blood series. A couple of his non-Gore films, um, I think. I don't know. I've, I've seen at the very least I've seen lots of clips from them, if not uh okay. entire film. Um but yeah, then I went on Letterboxd and saw your reviews and I'm like, well that's kind of harsh. Oh
0: yeah, you you strongly disagreed with my ten thousand or two thousand maniacs. How many maniacs are there?
1: Two thousand maniacs, ten thousand maniacs and two thousand. I
0: couldn't remember how many there were.
1: But yeah, two thousand maniacs I thought was it really surprised me how much I genuinely like enjoyed it on a like a, a story level and entertainment level um i thought that the gore scenes were actually clever as opposed to blood feast and most of his other films
0: <laughs> I, I will say i enjoyed 2000 maniacs more than the remake there is a remake oh of that. god Robert england's in it it's terrible eli roth cameos in it for some reason it's, it's the rare film that would actually benefit from Eli Roth's direction. I think. It's, <laughs> the, it's one of those rare films.
1: Any movie that's like a really schlocky exploitation movie that's being remade has to have an Eli Roth cameo in it. It's just...
0: Yeah, it seems to be written in stone somewhere.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I don't even think that they the producers reach out to him. I think he just smells something happening. He just lives on set. sets, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I think... Yeah, that makes total sense that you would be more into like the later Mike episodes because the movie choices there are definitely like a lot of 80s and 90s schlock, which I enjoy too. But just in terms of feeling Mm -hmm. of feeling the history behind the movies. um, Yeah, I like to go back to the little bit older, Uh, but that's personal. Yeah, I I, I think I like the
0: older stuff. I like like old 60s and 70s stuff, but I like the kind of B movies that they couldn't do on that show. I like like yeah. a three on a meat hook, you know, William Girdler type exploitation movie. Like, yeah. the stuff that's a few notches below like Toby Hooper's work like that stuff. I and I guess that's what Herschel Gordon Lewis is, but I just like, not really a <laughs> doesn't fan of those movies, doesn't click but he, he's very much in line with those.
1: I completely agree that I get a lot. I get a big kick out of watching those movies in general. Um, but but just the whole era fascinates me. You know, I think it's because 80s and 90s almost feels a little too recent we sure. watched uh, the room today in class. My the professor for the class that I'm a TA in is actually teaching the room as part of a curriculum on film form. You know, try to understand how a movie is constructed. Uh, so it's kind of an interesting way to go about it because you have a bad movie that is that sure. messes with film form a lot, and that's how you learn what actual film form is supposed to be. So, you know, the proof is in the pudding, you know, whether or not the kids will actually understand it by watching The Room. But watching it today, I realized, like, you know, it's basically the script level and the acting, you know, for the most part, that's the problem with that movie. If you just, like, froze a few frames from it here and there, you know, outside of some dodgy green screen it could basically look mm-hmm. like a real movie or at least like a real or like, the alley set yeah yeah like a religious movie yeah that's the, or something that's the
0: thing about that's the baffling thing about the room is that it looks half decent it was shot on film and most mm-hmm. movies of that quality do not have that budget they don't look that good yeah that's a long diversion but hey hopefully you're into sci-fi stuff if you're listening 50s sci-fi stuff because two 50s sci-fi monster movies one that's basically an episode of the outer limits and one that i mean it's an ed wood movie it's a genre alt all its own, really. Yep.
1: Although I will say this I don't know which one you want to tackle first, but Bride of the Monster, I actually find more dull than most of the Ed Wood movies because there's, it's almost feels normal compared to his other stuff.
0: I've only seen the two, you know, this and Plan 9, and it's not as magical as plan nine yeah definitely not it has some weird dialogue and stuff that i appreciate and any any time we get a bolgosi close-up of him just making <laughs> goofy faces like i'm i'm laughing but yeah I, I i do agree with you but hey let's tackle uh Mass first if you don't mind
1: absolutely
0: the film that isn't a complete joke
1: <laughs> well yeah it's uh it's pretty intense actually the the quatermass experiment
0: yes there's no E at the beginning
1: of that word. You know the story behind that? It was a British TV movie. Was it a novel as well? Yeah, well, it was called Quatermass Experiment with an E in front of it, but oh, um, oh, the
0: title specifically, you mean? Okay,
1: I don't know if you know this, but yeah, after they got the X rating back from the British Board of Film oh. Commission, uh, <laughs> they decided to capitalize on that and they took the E off. Uh, <laughs> and just called the Experiment. It's great, according to uh, Wikipedia. Exclusive Films told them in- told cinema managers to exploit the excitement of the film. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well it was the um 7 or 13 ghosts of its day where it's playing around with like the title and you know Yeah,
1: absolutely. Spelling.
0: I mean, those are specifically with numbers.
1: (laughs) I would be curious to know how many uh, movie titles up to this point were specifically misspelling things like that. But also, it's funny because you look at that and you're... My mind wouldn't go...
0: Sweet Songs, Badass Song?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) Rated X by an all-white jury. (laughs) Yeah, that's
0: right. That's one of the greatest taglines in film history. It really is.
1: There's a a t-shirt you can get there from some company I've seen on Instagram that just says Rated X by an all-white jury, and I I want that shirt. (laughs) (laughs) So Quatermass Experiment begins with a rocket crash onto a farm... Somewhere in England.
0: Somewhere in the south of England, yeah. Yeah and Sussex probably somewhere like that. Yeah, you would know
1: more about that than I would. I have not been <laughs> not been across the pond myself. But honestly, I actually found it interesting for it to begin with what feels like a direct reference to to World War Two bombings in England just in a nineteen fifty five film because mm-hmm. you start off with a bang. You start off with people wondering what all that noise is overhead and just loud explosions and having to duck inside their homes like that's pretty pretty gruesome for people who've just gone yeah come out of the war
0: yeah it's it has i mean not quite the same thing but it's sort of it has kind of that immediacy of the original godzilla yeah you know, where, where something like it feels so relevant and current and that's really what i love about fifty sci-fi and i'm talking not the ed wood but the the quality sci-fi mm-hmm. like um something like the day the earth stood still which is probably my favorite one of those invasion of the body snatchers there's such something like so i've talked about this before but there's always like a real curiosity about how things work you know how Mm -hmm. things you know outside of this world work but there's also i love that there's never a hesitation to just take it and make it into the most terrifying thing you can imagine and in this case you know that's (laughs) there's a little bit of uh calling upon some modern british history i guess
1: Yeah, like, basically, you know, all the bombings that took place in England in the 40s, like, I can't imagine a movie like this coming out in America, like, 10 years after 9-11 and beginning with, like, you know something that might be a, like oh my god did a plane just crash into a giant skyscraper somewhere That feels like an yeah if
0: independence day came out after 9-11 what would that look like exactly i mean
1: i guess i i started <laughs> i started to stop myself because i realized oh wait all blockbusters nowadays are just constantly destroying well, entire yeah. cities at, at a
0: certain point but but there was a grace period where, where we couldn't do anything and then in the same year we had two like terrorist kidnap the president movies and it's like so that was the year i guess we figured out when white house down and olympus has fallen came out that was when we did decided it was okay to yeah. invoke nine eleven 11 in our action movies i guess
1: pretty much as soon as zero dark 30 came out it was like all bets were off like okay we've come to terms with 911 let's let's make man of steel now oh
0: god <laughs> yes i was gonna say man of steel is one of the movies that that most reminds me of it and it not really <laughs> the proper avenue
1: not not what you go to superman for so anyways yeah it opens with a rocket crashing um in somewhere in the south of england and a lot of people arrive right away a lot of firefighters and everyone because the rocket's super hot uh but the main person who comes in is brian donlevy the one of the only non-british people in the cast here um oh yeah who yeah he's um i think him and the the woman who plays victor Caroon's wife
0: oh yeah he's from cleveland ohio i just see that name and assume he's british you know it <laughs>
1: does it does sound like a British name, but then he yeah. he talks just, the way he talks and the way he looks, it just seems like an all-American kind of mm-hmm. guy. Really great in one of his uh, last, I think one of his last roles, uh, the lead in okay. Pit Stop, uh, the Jack Hill film okay.
0: from 69. Oh, was director of Spider Baby and the big bird cage which have both yeah. been featured on this podcast
1: yeah did coffee and foxy brown back to back like that's what, right what yeah. a guy i've i met jack hill one day <laughs> and he was confused as to why i asked for a picture with him but um, <laughs> he told me
0: that's he's a hero he's like he's like how do you know who i am Probably, <laughs> right?
1: So yeah, the the rocket lands on the field, and it turns out Quatermass, the name of Brian Donlevy's uh, professor, has shot a rocket into space and has now come mm-hmm. back down onto the field with no one knowing about it. So English officials are uh, quite upset with him, you know, because he launched a rocket into space without permission, and they're eventually able to get the rocket open when they find out one person is still inside, and that person is uh, Victor Karun i believe and he is in shock he it looks to be in very bad shape his skin has kind of the leathery consistency of iggy pop
0: oh god that's so spot on yeah yeah
1: and he only gets two words in before he ends up being just completely silent the rest of the movie uh where mm-hmm. he just says help me very softly right and Quator mass doesn't seem to care very much. He goes into the rocket, wants to know where the other two astronauts that went up there are, but all he finds are just like, you know, space suits that are like locked and, you know, fully in there, mm-hmm. fully intact, but are completely empty.
0: This movie's basically it's like a backdoor mad scientist movie. Yeah. It doesn't appear like it would be, but then eventually like we get more on Quatermass and he's not like tremendously developed. There isn't that much to his character, but he is just like this dude who just like does not care about anything like regulations wise and he'll just do whatever and i think he's he's a compelling character it's a good performance Mm -hmm. from don levy like it's it's good he's compelling
1: yeah I, i it didn't even you know it's been about three or four years since I've seen this movie and it did not even register with me just how unlikable he is in this first the first half Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, I was the same way yeah and the second half we'll we'll get into that in a bit but the second half it just moves so quickly you don't get the chance to notice Mm -hmm. until the final moments arrive and we'll talk about that when we get to it but basically that's when that's when I realized Oh, that's the point. He is, you're right, it is yes. a backdoor mad scientist movie.
0: Also, just, th- th- I want to focus on the title for a bit here. First of all, this, I'm sure you are aware, this had a different title mm-hmm. released in the United States. It was The Creeping Unknown, which is a far more generic title. Yeah. But it's it's a title I can imagine is, it's easier to sell the movie on, because Quatermass Experiment, using using a proper name of a character in a title... You kinda need to already know who that character is. Like why why did Pretty John much. Carter flop, you know? Yeah. Um, because John Carter is a thing. It pre exists, but no one knows what the hell it is. Yeah. And it's like you know well, also, so, Qua- like master. Like you see-
1: It's a weird name. You know? It's it's yeah. it's not it's a, a name yes, everyone knows. It, that's
0: a good point too, yeah. It's it's like it's sort of Alan Quatermain, kinda. It reminds you of that which is like British, but yeah, I mean it's it's a weird title, I guess it were But because this was a British TV movie, maybe the name was widely known you know yeah I, but it's it's just like a weird like when you watch the movie you don't really like realize at, at first like you were saying like how big a part of the movie he is but then it's like he's in the title like he's a huge part of the movie
1: yeah yeah he's definitely a huge part of the movie it's just it's more like um uh he's so unlikable that when i watched it again mm-hmm. i started to think is this a flaw like is it a bad thing that he's this unlikable <laughs> and then i realized and then you know cooler heads prevailed and i was like oh he's supposed to be this way -hmm. Because after he after he checks the rocket and can't find the other two men, the immediate thing they have to do is find Victor Karoon some medical help. So uh, Quatermass brings him to Doctor Briscoe's laboratory, and the reason why he's going there is because Quatermass is completely convinced that you know hospitals and doctors won't have any idea how to treat someone who's gone through all of the strange whatever happened in outer space events that Karun just went through, but unfortunately, even under the good doctor's care, Victor doesn't speak, and he seems to just be very nervous, his eyes always seem to be, like, constantly alert... Mm-hmm. and there's are like the i mentioned his skin before but there are some moments that just his skin seems to take on some kind of disfiguration but they right. don't exactly know what it is i believe that there's also people talk about how he's like cold to the touch
0: yeah there's talk about that yeah yeah
1: and i think um meanwhile you have scotland yard coming in and being all nosy because they think that oh well the three guys in a spaceship two of them are most missing now so must have been in fault so they fingerprint they get uh karoon's mm-hmm. fingerprints and turns out they are not the fingerprints of a human
0: right that's so that's so great that's so creepy
1: yeah that's like just a really a really effective way of communicating that something is not human about this guy anymore because you don't it, 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 he's not even in the room you just look at his fingerprints a day after they've been taken and you're like oh some mm-hmm. something's weird here something's not right
0: yeah so i mentioned the the outer limits earlier because there is an episode that's remarkable similarities to this i don't remember if he goes into space or not but it's a robert culp episode robert Culp, my favorite colombo recurring villain he's awesome and he like slowly becomes you know you don't want to give too much away with this movie because it's basically the same thing but there's also a twilight zone episode you know where a bunch of people come back from space and they just like slowly start disappearing and the the more every one of them disappears like no one other than the guys involved, remember that guy. And it's, it's hard to explain. I'm not giving it just, doing it justice, but I love like the, the slow burns of these kinds of stories where like, we know something's wrong, but we honestly have no idea what, you know, something happened in space, but we just kind of, there's like a investigative angle, but then we also see it. I mean, it's, but it affects him as like a human too it's i don't know it's just really yeah it's effective storytelling i think i, I don't know how else to describe it
1: so going back to equator mass experiment yeah scotland yard is after karoon but equator mass is no we need to study him we need to know and what how what he's gone through and what he's been meanwhile before we get further into Caroon, Quatermass goes back to the rocket and finds some kind of material that appears to be a jelly-like substance. So he brings it over to Mm Briscoe, and Briscoe confirms that, well, it is jelly. It's something that is either, like, was—it's some kind of living organism, or was a living organism, uh, that's just been reduced. They compared it
0: to plant life, I think, right?
1: Yeah, well, I think they said, like, they don't know if it's, you know— human animal or plant okay. you know I think that was the okay. problem was that they know that it was it once was or it might still be like you know a living organism but mm-hmm. it's not going anywhere it's just jelly now <laughs> considering the fact that they can't find the astronauts and they find this sort of jelly ge- jellular aftermath on the spaceship they're th- like you know people start to assume the worst meanwhile let's get to Probably my number one problem with the movie, and that is Karun's wife, Judy. Yeah. I don't want to put all the blame of this on the performer.
0: No, it's mostly the writing. Yeah,
1: she is pretty much like the the only woman in this entire movie.
0: Well, yeah, there's that.
1: Yeah, like maybe a couple smaller things. I think the police inspector has a wife who's cooking dinner for him at one point. Also, <laughs> I'll get into that in a little bit, actually, because I'll, I'll, I just remembered who it was. Okay. So when we're describing the plot, okay. I'll, I'll get oh, into that.
0: Oh, I, I know exactly who you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's very young.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so judith is uh, victor karoon's wife and she is a very strange characterization because at first she's just so happy to have victor home and is so worried for him right and then she just completely explodes in one scene towards Quatermass mass about yeah. how he's using uh, how he's using victor and refuses to mm-hmm. actually help him in any way he's just using him for his experiments which is completely correct but it comes oh, out it's 100 percent
0: right yeah yeah and it's it's a missed opportunity too because there's a comment someone makes about this early in the movie when they're discussing like wait you just like launched this into space without telling anyone like and he's like oh i don't need approval you know but then someone even asks like but did you think about like them and he's like referring to like the astronaut families and stuff and it's like okay so this film's kind of raising that and it sort of i mean we eventually get to the wife but like yeah it's just not really as well developed as you'd like to see it be in a in a a movie like this
1: yeah i mean clearly there's no time for excess the the movie's 78 minutes long at least in the version i saw
0: I was gonna say I thought it was like 68 minutes but yeah it's 72 75 yeah somewhere around there yeah
1: less than 90
0: yeah I, it is less than 80 I believe yes
1: yeah like Wikipedia has a list as 82 minutes but maybe I saw a version with four minutes I don't out buy that Who for knows? a second
0: but you're right this could have multiple edits especially because it was rated x apparently yeah
1: exactly the experiment. <laughs> so the problem the main problem I have with Judy here is that at a certain point Quatermass and Briscoe are like we can't we we really are out of our element here uh Victor needs to go to a hospital I forget what the straw is that breaks the camel's back there but they do decide to transfer him you know over to another hospital I think because Judy is mainly like asking Quatermass Hey, you're not doing anything here. Please get him some real help. So he does go to yeah. so he does go to a real hospital. But the problem is Quatermass is so controlling over this that he doesn't allow anybody, the press, the cops, and even Judy, to see mm-hmm. this man because they don't know what's going to happen to him over the next however long he's going to be in this sort of semi catatonic state.
0: And the thing is with with Quatermass too, Quatermass could easily say like listen, this is for your safety. We're dealing with, like, radiation we don't understand. But he never even, like, gives Judith that, like, courtesy. He's just... Because, I mean, he could just lie, right? He's dealing with completely unexplained stuff he could just but no he's just like he just denies access it's yeah yeah he's 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 again quatermass is he's a backdoor mad scientist i stand
1: by that (laughs) he's just very controlling and he's viewing victor like the film is called the quatermass experiment and i think if Mm -hmm. you look at it in a certain way victor is the experiment uh, he doesn't realize sure. he's being used in that way, but he absolutely is. And um, I think Judy starts Well, and you're to not even
0: that... sure how much he's aware of anything, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But like uh, my guess is that even before he agreed to go up into space, he probably didn't oh, yeah. realize yeah. just how much he was being used as an experiment for equator mass and his own ego uh, more sure. so than anything else. Like, the, like equator mass didn't seek permission to send the rocket off into space. This was not about the glory of being the first people to travel beyond the atmosphere. This because otherwise, you know, he would have told people this is about his own ego. Mm -hmm. So they send him to the hospital, but Judy, in one of the worst decisions I've seen in a movie in a long time, uh, decides to break her husband out of the hospital even though, like I said, he's se- he's semi-catatonic, uh, he's cold to the touch, he's clearly, you look at him, this is a man who is not well, and yet right. she still thinks to...
0: He looks like um, Raymond Massey in Arsenic and Old Lace, like with the little kind of yes. stitched up face. He's kind of got Absolutely. that look. Absolutely.
1: So Judy hires a private investigator to break her husband out of the hospital for some reason. That that's my main hang up with the movie is that Judy is just not a great character. Like she's she's more of a frustrating character than right. any, than anything else. And to the, not And to they the could screen.
0: have written it in a way and maybe, you know, if you're making this movie today, you would find a way to, to have this character just be maybe she raises like she doesn't She's frustrated with Quatermass, but she never outright suspects that he, like, is causing her husband to be like this. And, yeah. And, you know, maybe she could be like, no, 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 he's the reason he's sick if she just, like, expresses that. Yeah, she you know, probably. That's a significant solution, I think, to this conundrum.
1: Yeah, there's a way to do it. I think you're like right on the right track. Where like um, she's like, I need to get you away from him. That would be a great yeah. way to go about it. But it seems more selfish than anything else. Uh, the way it does happen. So when she does get this guy Christy to break him to break uh, to break Karun out of the hospital, Karun sees a cactus in the window. And decides to go near it. And you don't exactly see what happens. You see his hand touch it and it goes out of frame. Uh, and when Christy mm-hmm. comes back into the room. Because I think he had to get... One thing or another. Victor throws the plant against the wall and it just, you know, the pot and the dirt just goes everywhere. And then in the elevator, you know, he's trying to hide his arm that he touched the cactus with. It's like yeah. something's wrong there. And finally, Christy, I think, asks him, what's, what's wrong with your arm? And he just takes his arm... From out from underneath the 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 jacket he's hiding under and mm-hmm. smashes Christy with it. He's got the Hulk hand kind of thing, pretty much. About yeah, that yeah. size. Yeah, you don't see it until later, but yeah, essentially what he's done is um, absorbed the cactus into his own skin. Right. and, You know, has grown the size of the arms like Hulk Hulk hand proportions, and as like <laughs> yeah, spike, has spikes in it and everything. So, Ju- <laughs> so he does see Judy on the way out, and Judy is just completely horrified because she sees I guess what's happened to him and Karun runs away and that's the last we see of Judy actually she um that's right yeah they they tell us later that you know she was found like a shaking mess she couldn't say anything about what happened Judy went back to her home planet (laughs) exactly like they realized the corner they wrote themselves into so they just decided to write her (laughs) out of the movie so Karoon is on the run. Christy is found in the elevator or the lift, I guess, because this is a British film.
0: Right. Yeah. Here we go. Just don't confuse cookies and biscuits.
1: <laughs> um, the main problem with Christy is that his body is just like a husk, you know, like you can see a hole in his head and it looks like hollowed out like his whole body's been hollowed out Mm -hmm. which is pretty interesting and uh gruesome effect for the 50s even if there's no blood it's just it's very shocking to see uh but i also Mm -hmm. like the way they did it because it's not like they just like left it like deflated it like a um <laughs> like a Air beach mantras. ball or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like his body's just flopping on the ground. It's like bumps and stuff. Like his bones are still in there, some some of them, mm-hmm. but his body is just deflated around it. It's it's really interesting gruesome effect. Absolutely. So Caroon is, you know, wandering through the countryside while everyone's chasing after him. And that's kind of where the second half of the movie continues. Or, like, that's the main focus of the second half. Scotland Yard and Quatermass are both after him. Uh, he goes to a uh, pharmacist and uh, kills the pharmacist. I like this scene. I yeah. I like this scene a lot. Absolutely. That's when you first see the hand and you see exactly
0: Yeah, exactly. It's it's a great reveal because the guy's like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" and he's like, "Wait a second. Are you sick?" cuz at first he yeah. just thinks it's a guy that's broken in. And then he sees it and then, yeah. Like, like "Let me help right you. So. Take
1: take take your coat off. Let me see yeah. let me see your arm." And then you see the arm and it's one of the the most gruesome effects I've seen in a 1950s movie. It's it's a gross looking arm. And they
0: say British healthcare is
1: quality. <laughs> Clearly, the pharmacist should have been able to help him if they were. If this universal (laughs) healthcare thing was so so effective, I think the
0: NHS was around at that time. I'm not sure. I think it goes back to the 40s. I'm not positive.
1: You know, I I heard a health. All I know is I've had to
0: pay into it multiple times because of visa issues. So that's frustrating. (laughs)
1: Uh, I can understand having a personal vendetta at that point. Um, (laughs) No, no,
0: no. It's not even a vendetta. It's more just yeah, yeah. The pharmacist. I like complaining is a hobby
1: of course it's it's for a very... anyone
0: on the internet but definitely for me yeah yeah
1: if you're on the internet it's so much easier to complain than to be like you know positive about things
0: it's going to make for an interesting bride of the monster discussion but we
1: can see what <laughs> we can do. um so yeah i don't quite know where else to go like beyond the chase but i will mention well we've got our jane asher cameo Exactly, that was what I was going to get to because I can't yeah. mention much about what Quatermass and the Briscoe and the Inspector Lomax. I don't know, like they're all essentially just chasing after him. But the most yeah, interesting there isn't
0: a whole lot of intrigue there. Yeah,
1: but the most interesting scenes happen, I guess. You know, you do see that same sort of hollowed out body effect with the pharmacist because right. uh, they go there and find him. And then uh, listen,
0: we got to talk about Paul McCartney's five year old girlfriend.
1: Exactly. <laughs> jane asher shows up um victor is like hiding out on a barge i guess and then jane asher shows up and she. i love the
0: location i love this scene's very well done too the way it's shot is really neat this
1: is like if if you want to like you know equate equator mass with um the with frankenstein this yeah, is the this scene. is your
0: little girl throwing the flowers and yeah the, in the
1: except without without 100%. murder except without murdering right. her at the end which is good because it's a very charming scene
0: well and we we want paul mccartney to find happiness in the early 60s too exactly Jane asher of and, course dated him for a while yeah
1: and i want the uh the mask of the red death and deep end to still yeah, exist that's right in she's in world. there yeah, if you've ever seen uh, Deep End, the Jersey Skolomowski film, never received a home video release in this country, but it is just an incredible movie about one of the best movies about teenage love obsession that there's ever been. And she plays like the main object of this young kid's obsession. Good stuff. Good stuff. Are you stuff.
0: sure it's better than High School Confidential <laughs> with Jerry Lee Lewis? Um, <laughs> You know, and and uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, the um, Dr. Jacoby.
1: Yeah, Russ Hamblin. Uh, I mean, Jersey skolamoski Albert Zugsmith—they're the same. You're same just making artistry. up names. These aren't real people. <laughs> <laughs> no, Jersey skolamoski directed Deep, end Albert Zugsmith directed High School Confidential. Oh the, oh God. He directed <laughs> High School know that. Confidential. How did you know that? He directed High School Confidential the same year he produced Touch of Evil with by Orson Welles.
0: Oh my god, that's incredible. I didn't realize that. It is it is oh an my insane god. career. What a what a high and low. That's yeah. incredible. Do you
1: know one of the best websites on the internet, Trailers from Hell?
0: I'm vaguely familiar with it. I uh, I know I saw the Mick Garris Robinson Crusoe on Mars video, and that's probably it.
1: Uh Joe Dante, you know, he started the website and he is a, a fan of he's a fan of albert zugsmith like um he oh, directed a, he directed a weird movie in the early 60s called confessions of an opium eater and so i've heard of that one yeah, yeah. With vincent price and he talks a lot about albert zugsmith's career because he it's absolutely fascinating he directed when he directed stuff he directed stuff like high school confidential confessions of an opium eater sex kittens go to college
0: oh i that that's on our list we'll get to oh, sex nice. kittens go to college eventually hopefully when
1: i worked at the library of congress i actually um found a 35 millimeter copy of the trailer in the archives and i played it before i think make way for tomorrow i did a screening of make way for tomorrow and i I I thought
0: you were going to say you petitioned for sex kittens to go to college to be entered into the national film registry or something i could i mean it
1: is it is a public uh poll you know you can always enter movies in there but no it's it's interesting Uh, because but not before basket case not oh you're right days. you're right clearly i actually need listen, to listen james Wan just
0: remade it this year it's it's a uh, basket case has never been hotter it's, now's the time
1: but anyways yeah uh, real quick before <laughs> getting back to quatermass albert zugsmith like around the same time he directed all those like you know exploity b movies um mm-hmm. he produced touch of evil the incredible shrinking man and the douglas sirk movie oh, written on the one. wind It's so just a weird, weird career this guy had.
0: Yeah. Incredible Shrinking Man, the Jack Arnold movie, one of the best 50s sci-fi movies. Absolutely.
1: Actually, actually looking at his filmography right now, Jack Arnold directed High School Confidential. That's that's the connection, I guess. I
0: didn't. I didn't know that. Was he like uncredited or something? I'm surprised. No, I, didn't I don't know,
1: that. know. It's it's right here. This is the 1st time hearing of it too. Or because I yeah, was just I, associated I, it with Albert Zugsmith,
0: but I don't think that's true for
1: some reason. <laughs> I just on,
0: don't. I don't find okay. It's Listen, on Jack Wikipedia. Arnold, he did... It's okay. on IMDb. Well,
1: uh, Jack Arnold. Okay,
0: I'll give you if IMDb unless unless it's like maybe it's like a um. Howard Hawks directing the thing from another world type thing you know something like that where it'll just say his name uncredited even though it hasn't technically been verified that he actually directed it
1: it's not listed as uncredited like there's no uncredited it could be a similar situation to thing from another world where Howard Hawks essentially did direct it but do we like, know
0: that for a fact i feel like people have just said that yeah
1: it could just be like a big assumption but i mean Jack like arnold the spielberg was,
0: poltergeist thing is largely bs as i understand it
1: yeah pretty much but the jack arnold thing just first off just looking at his filmography he appears to have been like kind of a journeyman after his original like sci-fi run like, oh, he, like, he, that like, that, like he like he like he directed guess. a lot of different stuff. But yeah, a year after Incredible Shrinking Man, he's listed as the director of High School Confidential. <laughs> but it is more of an Albert Zugsmith. The nineteen
0: fifties version of Reefer Madness, basically.
1: Pretty much. But you know, then Albert Zugsmith did College Confidential himself, so it's like
0: Yeah, I I figured he probably did that Seems one. <laughs> seems
1: more like his kind of movie than Jack Arnold's personal statement. If we're going hey, to they go got by, the
0: killer in high school.
1: Yeah, exactly. So if we're going to go by it was a
0: weird time for him to be making a high school movie cuz it was right around the time he married a high school student. <laughs>
1: It, who was also hell?
0: his cousin. So that's oh a weird, weird era for Jerry Lee Lewis.
1: Oh my God. You know, we um we showed In a Lonely Place on campus recently. And they had a Q&A afterwards just for people to discuss the movie. Sort of like an open discussion. And I was the first to raise my hand because I wanted to get rid of the elephant in the room. Which is that Gloria Graham uh, was having sex with her 13-year-old stepson while they were making the movie.
0: Ooh. I, okay. Yeah,
1: <laughs> uh, that was just funny. To Bit of an
0: Asia Argento kind of situation, I guess.
1: Kind of, yeah. So Mass. So Karun meets the little girl and, like, she keeps coming near him. And mm-hmm. I think this is what's heartbreaking about the scene compared to uh, the Frankenstein scene. Is that Frankenstein does want to be, you know, with the little girl. And, right. and it's yeah. largely born out of the knowledge that he is unaware of, mm-hmm. of the strength that he has. And, his, and the danger that he poses to this young girl. Whereas right. it yes. seems like Karun is all too aware and like he doesn't want her mm-hmm. like getting anywhere close Too to hard. him just because of how even though she's like, you want to play? Like she keeps like holding out her doll. and Yeah, she's very
0: much like the girl in Frankenstein. She's very she's not bothered by his appearance or anything like that. And there's something even sad in that. Yeah. Because you see just like the perfect kind of wholesomeness of a child's um, mind and heart or whatever, you know?
1: yeah absolutely it's 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 great stuff it's a great little you know just from if you want to compare the two it is a great little twist on the the Frankenstein kind of scene and and she is left alive and it leads to one of the funnier exchanges in the movie where the police are just bombarded with so many different calls and like false alarms and stuff because they Mm -hmm. have everyone scouring England for this guy and they get a Mm -hmm. call from another lady saying that oh this weird man broke my child's and they're like ah forget this guy we got more important things to do so i find that hilarious that like you know you have well it's
0: it's like the scene from in the loop when he ignores the problems with the wall Exactly. And then that ends up <laughs> being his, his political downfall. Oh, my God. Steve Coogan's elderly mother's wall.
1: <laughs> I love moments like that. You know, I love moments where, like, the tiniest <laughs> thing in a story that seems completely unnecessary ends up being, like, exactly what, what causes Kim's right. problems. I think, like, I can't remember if that actually does lead them to Karun, but... Oh, this actually does go into... They do eventually find Karun, but it goes into, like, one of the best sort of reveals in the movie which is the live tv broadcast they're doing some sort of restoration thing on Westminster Abbey
0: right which I, I will say the interior and exterior of Westminster Abbey really really well done I'm assuming certainly the interior they didn't shoot there in fact there's one scene where I can kind of see the matte line but it still looks great the exterior, I also assume, wasn't shot there. It might have been. But really great looking. I mean, even if you haven't been there in person, just, like, it feels very authentic.
1: The exterior might be, because it is a pretty yeah, big set. Be. But also, like, that yes, was true. the day that's, when that's they a would... That's yes. That is the day when they would build giant sets on backlots. So, you know, I can't judge <laughs> it by modern standards. So anyways, I guess before we get into the Westminster Abbey scene, uh, there is that little piece of of Karun that falls off somewhere. It's very Mm -hmm. slimy and weird. And Quatermass and Briscoe find it, take it back to the lab and realize, oh, it's like growing and starting to like reproduce, like starting to like let off these little reproduction spores. So now they're assuming this thing might no longer be human because the one little fragment of Victor that is broken off, they put it in this glass cage and eventually gets so big that it breaks out of the cage luckily it dies before you know because it can't reach because it's about to eat like a bunch of rats on the other side of the room but it can't reach them in time so it just dies on the floor it's spread out like a like a starfish or something and um yeah they go in and they find out about it and they realize oh so this thing is like really really growing like a lot of so there's something about oh right victor eats like or sucks the life forms out of like every animal at the zoo, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we missed that scene. Yeah, he shows up at the zoo. We don't see it happen, but then the, the next day, like the cops show up, or maybe Scotland yeah. Yard, and they were able to trace him there. And the the guy, the zoo owner, or some guy's like, well, what's what am I gonna say happened to like my lions? You know, like all of his yeah. animals are gone. Like They're right all... now, don't say anything officially or
1: something. Yeah, a bunch of lions, a bunch of tigers all have like the same problems that the detective and the pharmacist have where they're just like all the life is just sucked out of them. Mm-hmm. So that's that's basically it's leading us to the Westminster Abbey scene. It's a roundabout way to get back to what I was talking about, which is that they don't know how big this thing has gotten the mutation mm-hmm. of this Yeah, poor we guy. have not
0: seen it in a while or they certainly haven't
1: seen it in a while absolutely they don't know how big it's gotten they know that it's reproducing and it could take over the the country if they don't if they don't get it in time so at Westminster Abbey while they're looking for Caroon or whatever he's become at this point there is a live television broadcast all about the restoration Mm -hmm. going on there's a restoration project occurring at Westminster Abbey which means there's a lot of construction work and repair stuff around the building and they have a TV studio where they count down a live feed open up the camera and find on the live feed a dead body just lying there Mm -hmm. that like right before they started the live feed apparently fell from the scaffolding and they don't know what's up there so the tv cameras they they shut off the live feed obviously but i love that reveal i just i love yeah. that reveal so much where they have like the big countdown they open it up and it's just a slow fade in and just this dead body line there is just
0: imagine if we had that with the notre dame cathedral when that burned down and then you just cut to a live feed that's just a dead body out oh my there god
1: out you know that would like that would be everywhere you know spread like wildfire i mean it was area.
0: everywhere even without that Yeah, no, I mean, like, very big day for the internet.
1: God, it feels like we've lived two lifetimes since then. I completely forgot about it. It really does. So much.
0: That seems so long ago. It really wasn't that long ago.
1: Yeah, going back to uh, Westminster Abbey, um, the dead body has fallen from the scaffolding. And when they finally are able to get a look up there, they see this giant blob of. Yeah. Limbs and Wikipedia describes it's the it octopus
0: from Bright of the Monster.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like it is a kind bit. of an there, there is a similarity monster. there. It's more active. <laughs> Although it moves. Exactly. It does move. <laughs> it is more active than the octopus from bite of the Monster. <laughs> and it appears to instead of like so the way i'm just going to describe it the way wikipedia does here because this is the best okay. way to describe it is quote a gigantic shapeless mass of combined animal and plant tissue with eyes distended nodules and tentacle-like mm-hmm. fronds filled with spores like you can't get okay any better that's than pretty that.
0: good i was going to say it's just a big version of ditto the pokemon or is that's that ditto? pretty good too actually that, that, yeah
1: ditto um Thing about Ditto is he can like transform into anything, and right?
0: So, which is sort of what's happened with this guy.
1: Yeah, he's a, he's he's absorbed so many different
0: mix. More of a Kirby effect because he's kind of taking the powers or the qualities from these certain things that he touches. Yeah, if Kirby, Kirby, left, Kirby left like lifeless husks. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> and yeah, so they track down uh this creature whatever he's become now and they reroute a lot of electricity to be generated all to the metal scaffolding that the creature's on and they just absolutely fry it you know just like Mm -hmm. electrocuted to the point where it just catches on fire before you know it can reproduce more and take over everything so yeah everyone's sort of like you know wants to ask Quatermass a bunch of questions after all that and um people are like you know happy that the monster is gone and everything and instead Quatermass just walks out very solemn look on his face almost yeah. not solemn in the sense like he's sad or anything but like right the, the kind of look you'd have if you were a little bit in shock and also like kind of Determined, so he just walks away from the whole situation.
0: Yeah, the determined's a good word. He
1: walks away from the whole situation, and I think his assistant runs up to him or something, asks him what he's gonna do, and Quatermass just says, "I'm going to start again." And that's mm-hmm. the end of the movie. And so yeah. that's when it really clicked for me, like, oh, yeah, this was absolutely, like, he's not a likable guy. He is just determined mm-hmm. to feed his own ego.
0: Yeah, that last scene truly cements it, that that it's like a... To, to me, the movie wasn't really about Poitermas until the last scene, and that kind of, like, brought it all back. And it's like, oh, yeah, sure. Now, now you're thinking, like, oh, yeah, this is all the stuff that he did. Because you have a lot of these, like... Um, I don't know. I mean, it's like, uh, think of going back to the title, like think of King Kong, Mm -hmm. right? Ultimately, everything that happens in like the last third of that movie is Carl Denham's fault because he brings the the Kong creature to New York. It's not called like the Carl Denham experiment or anything like that. Yeah, and and it's like well, and I guess you could blame a lot of what happens in the first half because he's taking these people to this island that they've never heard of.
1: Pretty much, I do love how much King Kong is a movie about movie making. You
0: know? Oh, sure. That's that's your well, you know, and we've got Ed Wood to talk about. <laughs> well, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, the best movie about movie making probably
1: one hundred percent. No, I, I mean, I,
0: Matinee is another good one.
1: Ed Wood. The only I think the only two things that Dolomite is Ed my Wood. name.
0: No, I agree. Edward's the best. I think Edward is better than ones.
1: Dolomite, but you know, at that point, you're just comparing uh, Larry Kazuski and They're Scott similar. Alexander scripts. Yeah, they, I think it's the same writer. The only, right. the only two, like Matinee, is great. But the only two that I think. It's really about give, movie
0: making. It's more about the movie going experience. It's like Targets. Yeah. Targets is kind of like that.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I love well, that. Targets, that's actually a great. Way. That's, that's a awesome great movie. comparison point. It'd be a great double feature one day. Those two matinee and Targets back to back. What I'm thinking is the only two movies. Last time I did like a list where I tried to put my favorites in any kind of order. Um, The only okay. two I put above Ed Wood that had to do with movie making were uh, Day for Night, the Truffaut film. Which absolutely okay. I've which, never
0: seen it. I've only seen 400 Blows. I'm not a true faux aficionado by any Day anymore. for
1: Night is so so good. It's so enjoyable. I had No idea
0: it was about filmmaking in any capacity. It's
1: it's about nothing but filmmaking. It's just like okay. a product the a production from I guess the first title. day of filming. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> come to think of it, the title. It's is a, a production is from a the first day of
1: filming. Thing, yeah. the first day of filming to the last day of filming, and just so many great little character bits that happen in between then and so there's that film and singing in the rain which is almost a matinee almost a matinee type thing where like you're not going to it because it's a movie about movie making right but... but it's
0: like it's i mean the artist in some ways was kind of a remake of that yeah there is a lot of Like stuff about filmmaking
1: yeah and it's like it's not primarily what you go to it for like i go to ed wood because i love movies about movies singing in the rain isn't quite that but it is a better movie so i don't know how to judge that in that case
0: i actually personally this is a hot take i'm not a big singing in the rain fan personally i think ed wood is a better movie i understand that's blasphemy for a lot of old hollywood aficionados not the biggest singing in the rain fan it's a couple great musical numbers and that's all I get out of that movie. As
1: an old Hollywood aficionado and having some someone who's single, it probably creates my a top villain ten. in
0: the last act. Where does that come from? It's so random.
1: Are you talking about um um is whatever her, her name is? Yeah, exactly. Why am I blanking on her name? I mean that's that's throughout the movie. She's 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 yeah. a she's a nuisance and then she becomes a villain. She's
0: a yeah, she's a nuisance, she's like a comic relief and then all of a sudden she's like the antagonist, and I felt that was out of nowhere.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, like, the, the way you would define... Listen, hair, I don't
0: want to shit on one of the greatest films of all time, I'm hey, just saying. Hey, no, you... Not well, the my, biggest fan of it.
1: My point was you live your best life, you know? If you believe whatever sure. you want to believe. If you don't like Singing in the Rain, go for it. And that's coming from someone who probably in my top ten, you know? It's it's a basic-ass choice, and I've seen a lot of musicals in my day. I absolutely love It's in the my genre, top
0: 800, I'll, I'll give it that. Well, that's not, in that's not
1: shabby, you know? No, I don't dislike Ooh, a lot, it. I a mean lot it, of movies it's out a,
0: there seven out of ten for me you know it's yeah somewhere in there you know what also is a seven out of ten for me the quatermass experiment
1: seven out of ten yeah
0: i think that's a. Yeah, i mean that's we a, don't that's normally a, like, that's a good. rate movies on here but i think this is a solid science fiction film it's not quite a masterpiece i think of it like with because i love 50 sci-fi i love like quality 50 sci-fi i love some bad 50 sci-fi too but there's like tiers right you've got your top tier of just like the day the earth is still forbidden planet i love the original invasion of the body snatchers that's probably my second favorite behind the day the earth is still and uh war of the worlds would be in there and i think quatermass is in that like second tier with like the fly and uh, the blob i would put in there Mm-hmm. creature from the black lagoon like these are really good movies they're not quite masterpieces but I, but i like that this is um i mean it's it's a sci-fi monster movie but it's more than just like a monster like alarmist movie there's something going on with quatermass as a character and there's some interesting sci-fi ideas too and that's what i really appreciate out, out absolutely it. it's also well shot it's well acted there's some impressive shots with like yeah i love th- all the, the cinematography and like the last scene With Quatermass and everything outside of Westminster. I don't know. It's just really interesting. So, what did you think of the Quatermass experiment?
1: I personally really love it. The thing that gets me about a lot of um a lot of 50s sci-fi is just the the pace at which they're able to move a lot of movies and this is one of the briskest and like most yeah. like relentlessly paced ones that there is. Yeah, that's is. true.
0: A lot of those movies have pacing issues because you just have these long scenes of exposition or something yeah, like that. Yeah, exactly. Especially Even in Godzilla America. has that. I love Godzilla, but that's got like the briefing scene and everything yeah
1: yeah and this one is just like all killer no filler practically you're getting you <laughs> sort of you sort of get to it like as, as like there are exposition scenes but they all do feel necessary to answer questions right until you get to the chasing part in the, in the second act mm-hmm. and then you're just on the edge of your seat practically because there's so much uh, you don't know you still never know what's happening with him uh with it with karun until like the very last act of the movie and so you're wondering what's going to happen what's going to happen to everyone he encounters and yeah for me that like the not the old I'm not old, but, like, the older I get, the more I am just interested in movies that are able to to keep things at a really brisk, exciting pace um, mm-hmm. beyond. This does, like, I think the thing that's interesting is that this does, you mentioned this has a lot of really interesting sci-fi ideas. It absolutely does, but it doesn't have as much social commentary and political commentary that a lot of people no, talk about when they bring true. up 50s sci-fi. But I don't think it needs it. I think it's just any, a like good any story.
0: space race thing is going to be talked about with the Cold War, obviously. But I agree that's muted here. Yeah, it's not a whole lot there.
1: Well, it's England as opposed to U.S. or um, that's that could be the, the biggest Soviet reason Union. too.
0: Yeah, it's not that Britain wasn't involved in the Cold War. You know, Winston Churchill coined the term Iron Curtain after all. You know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But it, that wasn't as big of a giant problem here uh, in. That in Britain England as it was in America, it wasn't like the the looming fear of nuclear nuclear winter,
0: which we'll see in Bride of the Monster kind of.
1: Yeah, no, it's actually very interesting to to look at the two of them in the same night like I did. But yeah, I, I genuinely just really appreciate it on um on a like a filmic level, just how much it's able to to move, how it never really mm-hmm. gets uninteresting, the right. sci-fi ideas that are there, the fact that the monster is uh pretty unique and interesting for its time, especially and yeah, this that is before the gruesome. Blob
0: yeah exactly like there are similarities with the blob obviously this but is yeah it's before the blob it's before ditto <laughs> yeah before kirby
1: <laughs> well i mean the crazy thing is this is a blob-like creature that just absorbs everything it comes into contact with but at the same time it's fleshy and gross yeah
0: it's not it's not a it well, and it's also not a blob from the beginning it, we see it yeah. as a human and how it affects a human and then eventually the reveal of it being this like Blob thing, and you're right, it's not just a pure blob like the you know, the jello or or whatever you know, Ghostbusters 2 type thing. Like, there's more to it than that. There's just there's textures, and it's just interesting to look at
1: visually. Weird, weird looking, fleshy, like with these long phallic octopus arms. Ben, you commented earlier on the the name of the movie, yeah, and I think the the creeping unknown is a good name for it if like you know it wasn't it about the mad scientist because that really is kind of the way to describe the creature at the center it's a of good it title
0: it's a bit too it for me it's a bit too reminiscent of the creeping terror
1: or the the crawling which is possibly Eye.
0: the worst monster movie ever
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> but but the, you know, we can't blame this movie for that. Yeah,
1: yeah. The creeping terror, the crawling eye, the crawling hand. I mean, it's it's, it's similar to a lot of titles. But really, if you're gonna describe this thing in <laughs> the any <screaming> way, skull. <laughs> if you're gonna describe this movie in any way, I think a creeping unknown is one of the best things. Mm-hmm. And I just looked up unidentified some... creeping object. Perhaps would be a <laughs> title <Yugo>. <laughs> UCO UCO. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say the other thing that I really appreciate about the monster because I just looked up some more pictures of it. It's got like these weird little hair things at the top of it. That's just really gross. You know, it's uh, it's good mm-hmm. stuff. Like like yeah. the only other movie I can think of that's like gorier than this or more gruesome. It doesn't come until seven I haven't actually seen Fiend Without a Face, so it could be. That would be before. Without, it's
0: just a few years after this, but that's probably the, it's also a British sci-fi movie. What I actually was
1: going to bring up was uh, The Brain That Wouldn't Die.
0: Oh, yeah. that That's a little bit later, too. Yeah, that's yeah. a surprisingly gruesome movie for its day.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a bad movie, but like they rip a that's guy's That's the first Mystery off. Science
0: Theater 3000 episode I think I ever saw. I think so. It's either that or Soul Taker.
1: That's not a bad one to start with because it's like it has to kind of because Mike is taking over as host, it has to kind of reintroduce yeah, the story. Yeah, that's literally Mike's first episode, right? Yeah, it has to like kind of reintroduce the story of the show and like ease you into it, but <laughs> the also story
0: being used a little loosely here, but yeah.
1: But the writer, but the writing is at like such a high level already, like when that happens. That well, like,
0: I, I love the, uh, the honey roasted joke always oh, stood <laughs> out to me yeah and when he when he's running around with the fake head and it's like wrapped up and he's got it like under his arm and he's like he's at the 40 the 30, <laughs> no one will catch him <laughs> it's some great stuff <laughs> i love that movie
1: there aren't really many other movies from that period i can think of that are as gruesome so it really does earn yeah. that experiment title you know <laughs> yeah yeah so that's what i got for uh quater mass what do you got for uh bride of the monster well, okay, so here we go. Nineteen
0: fifty-five from director Edward D. Wood Jr. When did he just become Ed Wood? Because I feel like I think that's way, like just credit is Edward D. Wood. That is
1: just a uh, like an easy way to refer to him after yeah. his death. Because that's I'm pretty sure yeah. even in like the late porno movie days of his, um, oh
0: god, of his
1: yeah. life, I'm pretty sure the scripts were st- the the credits still read as Edward D. Wood Jr.
0: Yeah, I guess, well, you know, if you have a junior, don't use a middle initial also. Don't give us four (laughs) things to say. Who are you, Jean-Claude Van Damme? Uh, Come on, keep it simple. Two or three tops. Sometimes one. If you're a Brazilian athlete or Madonna, Beyonce, (laughs) Elvis, you know. So, Bride of the Monster, this is an Ed Wood movie, which means we are dealing with some utter nonsense. I will say I... You know, going back to you said this wasn't as enjoyable as the other Ed Wood movies you've seen. And, and for me, I've, I've never seen Glenn or Glenda. I've just seen this and uh, Plan 9. I think maybe there's like another. Did he do the Violent Years or something like? He wrote. I think he the, wrote a couple other movies I've seen. Yeah.
1: He wrote the Violent Years, and okay. I I find that more enjoyable than Bride of the Monster. Okay. But well, that's kind of because seen that one in forever. That's kind of because teenage rebellion movies are a little bit more uh, right. fun for me than
0: the high school confidential type films. Yeah.
1: Than like bad side, <laughs> like bad. Teen Rebellion movies are more enjoyable than bad okay. sci-fi, but... uh Well,
0: b- bad sci-fi, mad scientist, horror, monster movies, dime a dozen. I've seen yeah, so many exactly. of them. There's a lot of them. Yeah, yeah there. I see what you mean. Though <laughs> you've got The Room, which is like a Teen Rebellion, but with adult characters. Right? <laughs> Pretty much. You think about it.
1: I mean, he really wanted... <laughs>
0: he, he, he thought he was James Dean.
1: Yeah, he really wanted to make Rebel Without a Cause, you know? And that's... I don't know how he... that. Like how that happened. <laughs> so going through Ed Wood's filmography real quick, I have seen plan nine, obviously. Okay. I've seen Glenn Classic. or Glenda and I genuinely like Glenn or Glenda quite a bit. It okay. is it is weird. Trippy. Like not
0: as a bad movie, as like a weird experimental movie. Yeah,
1: exactly. Because
0: the eraser head of its day,
1: kind of. There, are, you you haven't seen it. You would be shocked at <laughs> how well. I haven't seen it. I'm just
0: throwing. I'm just throwing out a suggestion.
1: Here. You would be shocked at how well that comparison works. Sometimes. I know it's
0: experimental, but I don't know how much of it is truly experimental and how much of it is just. Ed Wood was a crazy person. There's mean, a little bit both. of that, I think, in everything he does.
1: At a certain point, and you know, a lot of people talk there's about a this line. in film school. Like at a certain point, at what, like, when does why should the intent matter anymore? It's no, like, I
0: understand that. Yeah, it, it's it's yeah. like
1: you, it's like you know. Ed, you could probably guess what Edward was going for. But it's so experimental and crazy that, like, why should – like, okay. who cares if it's intentional, you know? It's, right. it's there. You're just looking at what's on screen yeah. and you are just baffled by it. Uh, right. So I really like that. Also, just for how ahead of its time it was really. Obviously, it's dated now, but, you know. The, yeah,
0: but I, I know what you're talking about. There, really, really know,
1: accepting though. and loving of, you know, all different kinds of people from the LGBTQ spectrum before there was – any such thing
0: yeah because because edward was just in his day anyways he was just considered a cross-dresser there may or may not have been he may or may not have been trans like i don't i've, I've never really looked into anything about his personal life in that sense but mm-hmm. i know he was just kind of written off as like oh he dresses like a woman he wore a bra and panties when he served in world war ii under yeah. his uniform or whatever you know which i don't even know if that's true that's a line in it I
1: that, i think that part true. is true that's in all his biographies okay. and stuff yeah, I don't really know. Um, I showed my partner, Glenna Glenda... Not Glenna Glenda. I showed her Ed Wood um, recently. <laughs> and you it.
0: said your partner is Glenna Glenda. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: that, my that. partner,
0: Glenna Glenda. Oh, you named... What, you whatever named them whatever her
1: name is, I forgot. Yeah, sure, sure. Anyways, yeah, we watched Ed Wood and, you know, explained some of the stuff that I had read about Ed Wood over the years. And she was wondering, like, oh, is... So do you think... She was really guessing like he probably was queer or uh, transgender on some level. yeah I would but he probably. did he probably didn't have the um. The, the vocabulary uh, vocabulary or the probably self-confidence either to like or, yeah,
0: yeah or the community the, there's no there's no one to like reach out to and ask for advice about this kind of thing
1: yeah because he was definitely part of whatever community there was out there especially when you sure. go into his porno years but at the same well, time he was yeah. probably just so filled of self-hatred that he didn't want to apply any of that to himself
0: and if you see this film you understand why there's somehow self-hatred <laughs> yeah big time I kid but this movie i mean this movie is is garbage but i mean yeah. it's 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 a fun garbage it's not the most fun garbage but exactly listen, but anyways the reason i brought up the other edward films is i was just like i thought i remembered chriswell in this and i was so disappointed there was no random stupid chriswell yeah prediction because the, that to me is just like the one of the oh, weirdest man. things you can put in in front of a movie
1: i think um night of the ghouls opens up with chris coming out of the coffin this movie yeah okay yeah and and like Criswell comes out of the coffin and does like a little intro that's just such yeah. a great opening for a movie they, they took it like straight they took it like <laughs> almost word for word for Ed Wood just because of yeah. how good it was
0: future events such as these are reminiscent of what will come in the future there's yeah. weird dialogue like that and you do get some really weird dialogue in this movie there was a uh, I know what you said but I didn't hear you line <laughs> which, which I wrote down because that one stood out to me <laughs> There's a lot of that stuff.
1: Yeah, that was uh, another another one recreated for for Ed Wood because that's the one scene his girlfriend is in. Is long oh, that's time, the Sarah Jessica Parker suffering. part. That's yeah, right. exactly. Okay. Sarah Jessica Parker is like the first girlfriend and she's going to play the lead in Bride of the Monster. Yes, and they but give her the smaller role. Yeah, she's cut down to that <laughs> role, which is so funny because, you know, in Ed Wood, <laughs> they have an argument. Like you could play the office assistant, the file clerk. And uh, right. she I guess she just plays the uh, the assistant because she comes on for like one scene. But even the <laughs> old lady who plays the file clerk has a bigger role.
0: It has a bigger part, yeah.
1: <laughs> she's the smallest female talking role in this entire movie. God, what a, what a middle face anger to your girlfriend
0: (laughs) well if that is that part even true though do we was that really his girlfriend do we know that that
1: that... that was really his girlfriend um the question about how that how it all happened um like was was it really that ed wood thought that the woman the woman who is the star of this movie was gonna put up all the money for it that is the story uh that appears to be the main thing that people say about it um and okay. a lot of this knowledge that we have about ed wood came out in the 80s and 90s when stuff like D- dolores fuller who is that woman who was the girlfriend of ed That's wood the, yeah like that was when she was still alive so she could have contradicted it at any time but the it could have the source could have come from her i read um the biography of him that a lot of this information comes from called nightmare of ecstasy and it a lot of it is is made up
0: isn't there something maybe it's not a biography it's like a box set but there's like a look back in angora or something like that that's a title of something
1: yeah yeah i think it's a title of like a full documentary about it which i would love to see one day but i've only read the book and that does have a lot of like direct quotes from people so there's probably stuff in there about that but it's been several years since i read it yeah what, what were some of the other did you find any other lines that are just odd um, that was the only Dragon one I specifically
0: Couple. wrote down, but I know there are a lot of them. Well,
1: my favorite scene. Well,
0: there's there's the ones. Well, first of all, the last se- line of the movie is like my favorite line ever. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. We get we have two fantastic closing lines in in both movies tonight, and I gotta say, I prefer the Bride of the Monster one just just because how random it is. Yeah. They're so clearly trying to do a King Kong thing, and Absolutely. they just fail completely, and that's what's lovely. But yeah, the uh, the uh, what are some of those? Well, there's that. I don't remember the specific lines, but I know that like the horrible exposition scene where they talk about like maybe the all the atom bombs is what's causing the storms. Like every line in that is just every line in that scene when those two guys show up in the swamp is like the weirdest line ever.
1: The two guys show up in the swamp. You mean the guys at the beginning, or
0: no, no, the um one of them is um. The oh
1: when they drive boyfriend out there. the
0: cop guy yeah. and the other guy i don't think is ever introduced i think he just shows up i don't oh. think we know who that
1: guy is <laughs> Say, i assume he's i was a cop. wondering i thought i missed something there
0: yeah um, i thought so too because because we get early on we get the cop we get like the really eager like nervous cop and he's the guy at the end who's got like the shaky gun i assume definitely but i thought that, maybe that's... that was him but in, in that scene and it's not but anyways, we got to we gotta talk a little bit about the plot here. Yeah, you know, go for the story. We, because, because you mentioned the first scene. We do have two people showing up in the swamp. It's a classic old dark house type, you know, setting where they, they're they stuck in a rainstorm. I guess they're hunters. They went out hunting at night, which seems like not a great idea. But they're, they're like, okay, we need to find shelter. Oh, there's that old house. It's like, oh, but there's a monster there. And they're like, yeah, you don't actually believe that. But they show up to the house where Dr. Vornoff. Now lives Dr. Vornoff of course played by the legendary Hungarian actor Bella Lugosi. Yeah. One of the all-time most iconic horror stars who I recently compared to Arnold Schwarzenegger in that he's one of the worst actors ever but like there's just been certain parts that he's absolutely perfect for. And he kind of like made his entire career off of basically just Dracula, you know. Yeah, like you can't. But he's good in some other movies, but yeah,
1: he is he is very good at certain times, They're like in the right spot. Like, like the Black his...
0: Cat and the Raven, he's really good in both of those. Son of Frankenstein, yeah. he's great. Very
1: different roles from like like in terms of the type of role anyways from dracula his secondary role in island of lost souls is really powerful
0: oh i know i've seen that i don't remember it that well though yeah
1: he's like the is that,
0: that's a is that a moreau adaptation is that what that is
1: yeah yeah it's an island of dr Moreau adaptation yeah he's the man animal um that yeah i like definitely. Begging the question yet. like are we not men and uh, mm-hmm. he brings a lot of gravi- gravitas to that uh, that little performance. So he, yeah, he's... he's got
0: a similarly emotional. A dramatic monologue in this scene which actually yeah. i kind of love and hate that scene that speech because it's like it's performed weirdly but at the same time he brings some humanity to it even though it feels like every line he's delivering incorrectly there's like still something about it where it kind of works in a way
1: it it really does i didn't want to get too much into it yet but it really is like a yeah we'll a get genuinely scene. good scene in my opinion yeah
0: that's that's the best scene of the movie not the it's probably the least funny scene in the movie too yeah exactly but yeah anyways Vornoff doesn't let these people in and Vornoff also has lobo played by tor johnson mm. who's his man-at-arms he's 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 his giant man assistant yeah who originally because because the rumors that there's a monster here they think that's the monster
1: it's yeah. not unfortunately tor johnson is silent throughout the film uh which is a shame that's
0: right i don't know i've seen plan nine i think it's good that he's silent
1: no but that's, the, the, film, that's but... the thing is i would just love I know. to
0: hear him they talk. gave him all the dialogue and you can't understand the word he says but yeah anyways um this is one of three films in which tor johnson plays a character named lobo obviously one one of the others is a sequel to this mm-hmm. but there's some other movie from, like, the mid-50s where he played the character of Lobo that has no connection to Ed Wood. So was, like, Lobo just, like, a name for, like, a big brute man at some point?
1: Well, the other one was the unearthly i'm pretty sure because i've seen, yeah I've which seen is also the unearthly.
0: that's also a mystery science theater one isn't it
1: yeah i've seen most of the episode but it's uh it's yeah, just kind of a kind ever. of a low-key episode to put on in the background because it's, it's got john Carradine, and it's got tor johnson it's got allison hayes from attack of the 50-foot woman like just a good time to keep on to keep on in the background but i haven't sure. so really like paid too much attention to it but I, that's where his uh that's, famous that's line, the time for go to bed exactly time for go to bed yes. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that's that's why that's part of the reason why I wish he uh, that he that is
0: do- time for go to bed is Tor Johnson's you talking to me <laughs> or oh, no, no no, it's even better than that no no, no it's it's uh, his and this technically isn't a line I've ever actually spoken by the actor but it's his you dirty rat because that's like the Tor Johnson line that's like if you are imitating Tor Johnson I don't know why you would but that's the line. <laughs> Which just I mean, like that's was the James Cagney line. A,
1: he was a Halloween mask for years, so that's like, right. Clearly yeah, people like a, have an attachment to him.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, but there's a difference between dressing up the same and doing a Tor Johnson impression. I think. But, yeah, <laughs> just every point. time
1: you're at a party, you just break out that Tor Johnson impression. And all the ladies love it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's there's no connection to Ed Wood in that movie, other than yeah. the fact that like similar, similar character. Similar um similarly washed up old
0: horror star in Carradine versus Lugos. Exactly.
1: Uh you know, takes place in one house where like there's some weird goings. Carradine on was that.
0: also Dracula. Carradine was Dracula in House of Dracula, I think, one of the P- universal Probably, movies. Probably maybe, maybe honestly, House of Frankenstein. Maybe both of them.
1: You could tell me John Carradine played any role and I would believe it. That man has like five hundred credits. John
0: Carradine continues to be in movies to this day, I think. <laughs> There's so much just random, unconnected footage of him <laughs> <laughs> that he could throw John Carradine yeah. and, like, John Wick and, you know, I'm not betting an eye.
1: That would be amazing if he showed up in John Wick. He plays the Ian McShane part. But uh, Tor Johnson, well, I was on the like, well, I was on the IMDb page because I was um, checking about the Unearthly, and it says the first in line of trivia here, In the film Mad Max, the Halloween mask Mel Gibson puts on at his home is a Tor Johnson mask.
0: I do not remember what? a Halloween mask in Mad Max. I don't I do remember that remember either, that. but... I know eventually in one of the Mad Max movies, might be the first one, might be the Road Warrior. I think it's the Road Warrior. The villain wears a hockey mask, which is not the Jason Voorhees mask, and it's not even the Roy mask from part five, but it is the exact same type of mask that they use for the poster of Friday the 13th, The New Beginning. An interesting Interesting. Interesting. Found interesting by precisely two people on this earth, probably. But hey, it's out there. Bride of the monster. So after these two hunters are sent away, because Voronov will not let them into his home, one of them, it takes some imagination here to connect some shots, but one of them (laughs) stumbles upon the monster. And the monster is an octopus. We have a lot of stock footage of the actual octopus underwater. And we have some shots of a person tangled up with like an octopus prop that is not moving. The actor has to make it move. And that's one of the best scenes of Ed Wood when uh, I think it's is it lugosi because eventually lugosi's character gets involved gets tangled with the octopus but i, I think it's one of Lugosi's yeah. stunt doubles but there's there there's a very fun scene in Ed Wood where they're shooting that scene with bella lugosi and he's just screaming because the screaming and swearing because the water's so cold and stuff
1: yeah so, yeah. yeah amazing scene in uh amazing scene in Ed Wood. this scene in um bride of the monster though every time i have to go back and watch it because the you know the old the old story about how they didn't oh, get yeah, the motor for the, they story. didn't get the motor for the mm-hmm. octopus and they so the, and so anyone who had to like wrestle with it or make it seem like the octopus was attacking mm-hmm. them had to move the arms themselves i swear dispute there's that. well i, there's, I know the motor thing is going going not
0: true on.
1: the motor thing isn't true
0: well maybe not specifically the motor part but according to the film edward they just steal it from like a studio background oh yeah that part <laughs> that is fictional yeah but no i think there might be movement in this scene in the other scenes because there's at least one or two other times oh, yeah. the octopus has somebody. Yeah, we can get and to a couple. There, of them. it's very apparent that someone has to make it move, but yeah, that could be a, just a difference between the actor. You know, this actor isn't as good in this scene as as this hunter guy is.
1: Could be. Yeah this this hunter guy, there's definitely a lot more movement, and it's not believable because the head of the octopus no. isn't moving, but like the the legs <laughs> look like they're moving of their own accord at least. Okay.
0: I mean it's it's no killer eye tentacles from Charles Band. Those are in Charles Band, David Dakota. If you want quality looking moving tentacles.
1: Put I'll put that on top of my list it. for uh for tentacle uh action.
0: Don't watch it, it's basically a sophomore. <laughs> it's a terrible movie, but there's there's some quality tentacle props. It's David Dakota David-
1: going on there. It's um, the, yeah. But Bride of the Monster going to this scene where the hunter is being killed, I find it hilarious how the guy has exactly one scream. And it is repeated yeah, I going to say that it's so minutes. repetitive
0: because the scream itself is a fine scream, but we don't need to hear it 40 times. <laughs> and then my favorite part about this scene is how quickly the or not how quickly, but when the other hunter just gives up on him, he just like turns and like leaves. It's so like
1: yeah. Well, he doesn't he casual. Doesn't, he's about to turn and leave, and then he gets caught by Lobo. Well, yeah.
0: Yeah, but but he, he, you can almost like hear it in his mind. He's like, "Well, I tried." <laughs> like you can the, you're right. Lobo he used appears. like his,
1: he used like his two shells on the octopus. And by the way, yes. By the way, can we just say the octopus is not a monster? Like no, like it's a, it's a human it's animal. Ju- it's, it's just a an human octopus. animal. It's it's
0: a living animal. They don't even it's clarify
1: a... it as being anything beyond an octopus. Like if there was, like if I was living in this town, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, the monster that lives up by the old willows place." I'd be like, "Oh, the octopus that lives up there." It seems ever heard to of this be
0: reasonably large for octopi. I'm no octopus uh, octopus expert, and you know you can imagine like when they're doing the stock footage and it's just the octopus underwater. Maybe they were, like, hoping that, like, okay, we want to, you know, like the, um, what's that uh, Ray Harryhausen movie? They're trying to get you to feel like it's a giant octopus. But then when we see someone in its clutches, it's, it's maybe pretty big for an octopus, probably slightly bigger than they tend to be, but... It's yeah. Not, it's like human size. It's not like yeah.
1: But they just never not the size of a whale. Like they don't even specify that in the dialogue. Like oh, look at that giant octopus that we have. Right. Yeah. That's true. Uh, that, they just yeah. say this is the monster, and then you look at it. It's an octopus.
0: Well, and also we learned that vornoff is responsible for the Loch Ness monster. Like he created an actual monster. Couldn't he get something better than this?
1: <laughs> All the stock footage on hand, and that's that's the monster you go with. I I don't know. I can't say.
0: Yeah. Well, I. It's probably that's the prop they had, so they had to have the stock footage kind of match it. If I had to take a guess, yeah. Because with probably. with B movies, you always wonder like uh, certain things. Okay, which came first, the premise or the prop? If it's or like you know, like um, if you have like a like Grizzly, the film we did earlier this season, it, which came first, the killer bear plot or that you had access to a, a trained bear? Which came first?
1: Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> exactly i know i know i've come across like certain props or things or just whatever in my life and been like oh i have access to this i should make a movie around it you know right uh and god bless the people who do
0: i guess i mean if this is the result i'm not i'm not sure I'm (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure i second that but no no i mean again love this movie so and i will say you said you know lobo sneaks up on this hunter and i will say this is the sneakiest lobo's been there's like three or four times where v- Vornoff just delays. He's talking to a character and he just like delays. And then Lobo is just like behind them and he's there for like five seconds too long. And then he makes his move. <laughs> this the sneakiest Lobo is the entire movie. Good for him.
1: He's got some level of stealth to him.
0: Well, he's mute. That helps. He can't speak. <laughs> yeah. So after this exciting opening... We then get to kind of the boring scenes. These are like the investigation scenes. These are the exposition scenes. But we do get kind of a fun little cast of characters. And really, it's just like one character who I kind of enjoy. It's Captain Robbins, played by Harvey B. Dunn, who is... He looked familiar, and I looked him up, and he's he's like a Mystery Science Theater 3000 legend. He's in like four or five movies they did. He's in, well, maybe just like three, but The Sinister Urge. Which mm-hmm. is, that an, is that connected to Ed Wood? Is that even a Mystery Science Theater film? It is. It was directed and co produced by Ed Wood. That's okay. one
1: I haven't seen, but it is, yeah, directed and uh, okay. possibly And by he's
0: him. also in Teenagers from Outer Space, which I know is a Joel episode.
1: Yeah, you he's know? been in. Harvey yeah. B. Dunn was in a lot of B movies. I, I can't even yeah, remember he, which ones I've seen and which ones I haven't.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. Those are probably the only ones I have seen.
1: Teenagers from Outer Space, is he the one that. He's also has a in torch- My Fair
0: Lady? What? he's an uncredited extra in my fair lady oh, okay that's right up i there, believe that
1: right up there with uh coleman francis his last role was in beyond the valley of the dolls
0: well that's actually fitting though like, that Harvey does B. Fit a in, in a best picture winner doesn't make a lot of sense to me but okay
1: <laughs> like
0: <laughs> valley of the dolls you know that's the type of movie that coleman francis would have made if if he had a bit more uh more of a budget and more talent maybe i mean he, his ambitions
1: Lied although Russ May- the, although the, the, the main difference being Russ Meyer actually likes people, or at least their breasts.
0: Well, yeah, that might be the only thing.
1: Coleman here. Francis doesn't like anything or anybody.
0: He likes Tor Johnson
1: that is true
0: beast that of yucca true. flats well does he does he is what's the, i guess i'm not up on my coleman francis i, I don't i don't
1: know beast of yucca I, are flats, his movies Red, just incredibly
0: cynical very see the very david cronenberg of the bleak. 1960s
1: if he, if he if he had a budget i'm telling you he would have <laughs> been, be like, been like respected as, as an art filmmaker because his movies are so so cynical and just nothing okay. but bleak people just ruining okay. each other
0: and john carradine's beautiful singing voice
1: Oh, yeah. You know, God bless him for being the only person to have the balls to give John Carradine a theme song. Well, I thought Hard to be Done was in more stuff, but now that I'm looking at it. You, you know, you got My Fair Lady, but Bride <laughs> of the Monster, Teenagers from Outer Space. He was also an extra in Sabrina, too.
0: I was just going to say, well, he's, yeah, uncredited party guest with Trey. Big A big year
1: role, before Bride of the Monster. So, you know, Billy Wilder, Ed Wood, they're like just like one degree away from each other
0: that's that's amazing well it's like you know brink stevens is in this is spinal tap i learned that the hard way because i lost a bet on that uh, on this podcast <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's also in uh she, well psych i guess psycho 2 is not shocking or was it psycho 3 i don't know brink stevens a bunch of random like uncredited roles in like a movies which is weird
1: i love finding people like that there's i want to do an entire movie one day that's just about a hollywood extra I don't know what the story would be yet, but I want that to, want it to happen one day.
0: Well, speaking of not knowing where we're going with it, yeah. neither does Ed Wood with Bride of the Monster. Because this is, we meet our characters, Harvey B. Dunn plays Captain Robbins, who's got a bird for no reason. This is trademark classic bad movie stuff, is you always have, like, weird character quirks. I shouldn't say always, but oftentimes, that, that are, like, never really explained, they're just there. And you wonder, like, is that just something the actor brought you know, you, but mm-hmm. you don't know. And that's like, I love the questions that this film raises in, in not in any kind of like philosophical sense, but <laughs> honestly,
1: the fact that you have um, Kelton the cop, who I only know because Joe Dante and Will Sloan um, from the Important Cinema Club talk about it a lot. Paul Marco, like the sort of Weasley cop guy. And then you have, the yeah, Cap- he's okay. He's that Cap- one. Yeah. Captain Robbins. The, the two of them are just so much more entertaining than the lead we have. They
0: are. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, we don't even know the lead, the lead, the male lead, who's um, Dick Craig. We don't even really know he's a cop in this scene. He just sits down with Captain Robbins. He's talking to him first. I mean, is he? um, I guess he is, yeah. Yeah, it's never, well, because he's always in, I think Kelton is the only one who's ever in a cop uniform. They're all wearing suits. Maybe Kelton isn't even. I don't know. I think he's in a cop uniform, at least at the end of the movie. But yeah, you're right. He's he's just talking to him and they're talking about the news stories of the monster, you know, monster snatches another two or whatever, you know, we've got that thing going on
1: right under the old uh, new tax reformations or whatever the yeah, (laughs) the the one uh, fake newspaper that was in every movie.
0: Okay, I was going to say, well, you know, you, you can't expect them to use lorem ipsum for this for the newspapers in this movie because they use that to write the script (laughs) uh this is where we meet kind of i i would probably call her our lead janet Mm
1: -hmm.
0: who is the fiance of dick she comes and she's a journalist she is upset with dick because he's meeting this is another thing where it doesn't this makes you think he's not a cop because she's upset. Like, oh, I haven't been able to get a hold of you in here. You're meeting with Captain Robbins. Like, I thought I could trust you. It's like, but he's his boss. She's, she's talking to him as if, like, he's like a rival journalist or something. It's
1: just weird because she's complaining about, I don't know. It's just a weird scene. I mean, if I can be honest, I don't think the script knows either. That's probably true. And you say Janet is the lead. I completely agree with that. But she does, like, disappear halfway in uh once, yeah but we'll get to that later
0: well so does bella lugosi he's replaced with a stunt double
1: oh well that too yeah but janet <laughs> doesn't even have the courtesy of a stunt double she's just her character right. is just gone
0: yeah yeah it's like we've got a co-lead situation with uh dick and janet i
1: think yeah i just find janet more interesting i just wish more time was on her
0: well yeah i like the uh you know 50s kind of like a i mean she's a businesswoman's not the right word she's a journalist i like there's like a drive to her character yeah like that's that's exactly. fun you don't always see that in 50s movies we were just complaining about a woman in the last movie i mean yeah rather the writing of a woman excuse me <laughs> i'm not <laughs> just complaining, complaining about, about oh, there's a woman, woman in this movie. Mass experiment <laughs> this an, i come from the 1580s stage we don't have women actually.
1: put janet in the role of judy uh in quater mass experiment and you got yourself a, a, a masterpiece masterpiece of science fiction right there. Just don't change any of her any of her lines. <laughs> yeah.
0: Does she finance Quatermass because then <laughs> because then I could see the budget dropping a bit. <laughs> so Janet is on this monster story. Captain Robbins obviously denies, you know, hey, it's no monsters. He's 20th century. We don't have monsters. And then so she kind of leaves. She's doing her thing. And then we meet this other character named Professor Strausky. He is from the They never say where he's from, but given his accent, I'm going to say he's from the border of, you know, where Alberta borders with Germany, Russia and Poland. (laughs) You you know, the accent changes a bit, which actually kind of makes sense with with how when we learn more about the character later on. But even in that scene, his accent
1: changes a bit. So, yeah, I mean, like you can only give it so much credit, but it, it is it is interesting. He is an interesting character.
0: He's not who he appears to be. Just mm-hmm. like Quatermass, perhaps. But he's the... He claims to be a monster expert. He says, like, hey, are you familiar with Loch Ness? Well, the monster here has some similarities to that. And then he agrees to go investigate with with Dick Craig. They're going to go to yep. the swamp to investigate. And he's like, hey, let's go during the day. And, and then they're like, but supposedly the monster only attacks at night. And he's like, yes, but... We should start the preliminary investigation during the day.
1: It's a really, really strange exchange.
0: Yeah, it is. It is weird. It's a weird setup. And then they didn't even go together. And it turns out it, when we next see Dick and he's with that other cop, the guy we never really get introduced to, the guy who's just there. Yeah. They both head to the swamp. And then they're like, oh, where's Strauss? He's supposed to meet us there. And I'm like, what? You didn't like arrange this? They're like, oh, that's a funny thing that Strausky agrees. I think they used the word appointment. He agrees to an appointment with us in this swamp, and then he doesn't show. And I'm like, what? You, you couldn't have taken the same car together? I mean,
1: I mean, where Strausky's from out of town. Was he just staying at a hotel? Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Does he he, said, he
0: specifically mentions a hotel. He does. He Ubered his way over there. But we are missing the scene. We are we're skipping the scene, rather, where Janet, I guess, gets in a car accident
1: something like i that. guess that's
0: the implication the she car Moore just kind of stops is, her car and falls out of it
1: the car is against a tree that that's yes. what we know that's yes. that's it's, how the, the car scene is ends. the car is near a tree <laughs> that is how the scene ends we don't know if it, how it got well, no, there no, no, no.
0: It's, it doesn't end that way
1: because lobo picks her up oh no yeah the scene doesn't end but like the the end right. result of the car the sure. car is on the tree. We don't know if it crashed into it, if it just stopped, but it's right next. Ran to Ran out of tree. gas when she was about to hit a tree, perhaps. Yeah, well, and honestly, what a perfect time to run out of gas. Although when you don't, when you run
0: out of gas, you don't just like immediately stop. Like I'm sure that's how I cars <laughs> worked when I was a kid. But <laughs> she ran out of gas several hundred yards back, I guess, and just kept slowing down. So yes, Lobo takes her in, and Vornoff and Janet are speaking. Janet knows who he is, because she's a journalist. Vornoff also knows who she is, but pretends he doesn't for some reason. And then when she learns that he knows who she is, she's upset with him for asking questions. Just some weird dialogue here. And then this is where I think this is where we learn that Lobo is mute. Vornoff whips him, because why not? And and I love the, I mean, Bela Lugosi, I don't know how old he actually is here. Let me look up when when he was born. 1882. So, yeah, he's he's actually older than I thought he was. I mean, he looks old, but I don't know how much of that was just kind of, you know, we know what went on with his life and kind of how he spiraled further down with drugs and stuff. So, but no, he is he is a fairly old guy here. Mm-hmm. But old man Bela Lugosi whipping Tor Johnson is like the least forceful looking action i guess <laughs> like it doesn't look like torres remotely being hurt and you know it's fine yeah so he's an old man
1: yeah what what, what can you do yeah you, know, you can only suspend your disbelief so much
0: and this of course should be noted that this is Bell lugosi's last speaking role he obviously appears in plan nine four years later sort of he he's, he appears in that the same way bruce lee appears in game of death mm-hmm. um where it's mostly a stand-in <laughs> I think it's Edwards chiropractor. I think that's the that's the story there. But yeah, so Dick and whatever that other cop is, whoever he is, they decide to keep like looking into things. And then Fornoff v- at one point puts Janet to sleep because he's got like hypness- hypnosis powers.
1: Well, all the Lugosi characters do.
0: Yeah, I guess that's true. It's a big white zombie thing he does it in Dracula. A little bit he tries to do it on Van Helsing, but then Van Helsing pulls a crucifix. Yeah. It's a Bell Lugosi tradition.
1: Yeah, it's and Ed Wood, you know, it's almost like the the character of Dr. Varnoff is not like an original character except for no, he like is maybe his backstory scene. He yeah, exactly. Yes. He is he is Ed Wood's love of mad scientist movies. Like yeah. 100 percent boiled down to with its pure a, essence with the
0: very very loose lip service paid to the cold war yeah because it's implied maybe yeah. he's from russia they never say what country but they always say like your country my country like they know the implication you can imagine is russia for whatever reason they didn't say russia or the soviet union but i yeah. think that the implication is cold war or something well yeah.
1: there is the cold war but then there's also professor straussky who does vacillate between like you know like a german and like slightly more eastern european accent yeah and talking about his country and dr varnoff mm-hmm. talks about yeah the, making most of that
0: an... comes from straussky that's right
1: but then uh dr varnoff is like using cold war lingo to uh talk about creating a race of supermen you know so a rice of people rice of people just saying that without <laughs> his accent just sounds so goofy um yeah a r- rice of Bipple. like the like the master race, almost you could say.
0: Yeah, which I guess that's not really Cold War li- lingo. That's like, well, well he's he's Germany, but yeah. he's
1: saying he's using atomic weapons to do it. Which that's you know, right. Yeah, God, the Cold God War, only so, knows yeah. how that's going to work. But so it's really interesting. It's like a bizarre mixture of Cold War and World War Two, just like using these sort of the sort of lingo that we learned over the last decade. Well, you know being in the 1950s, you would have learned over the last mm-hmm. decade to fuel some kind of social commentary? Question mark. Yeah. In like I, one uh, well, scene, which I don't know if you want to get to. Yeah, now, it but is. Yeah, which is the pretty best pretty scene in the movie. We mentioned that.
0: And we'll get to it because we might as well get to it now because um Strowski does show up to the swamp. He shows up by himself in his own car, possibly stolen. We don't know. <laughs> Did and he, he drive inside. there?
1: Did he drive to the city, wherever the city is?
0: Um, well, he, he came from like Loch Ness or something, so I don't know. Oh, yeah. He followed <laughs> he him across the Scotland? world.
1: So, it, yeah. so So before we get into the scene, uh, Dr. Okay. Varnoff is behind the Loch Ness monster is the, the theory, Yes, right? that
0: is confirmed. And <laughs> what other monsters do they mention? Maybe I, nothing I real. I mean, I know Loch Ness Monster's not real, but you know what I mean? Like, we know what it is.
1: I think he said, I, I followed you from this place to this place to Loch Ness, and now to here. I don't yeah. think he mentions any well, more Well, he's monsters. like, I missed
0: you. I'm in, in Loch Ness, I missed you by a week. In somewhere else, I missed you by three days. In this other place, I missed you by a day. It's like, there's a funny structure to how he says that you expect there to be, like, another joke. Like, and, <laughs> and in this other place, and... <laughs> And in Falk, Arkansas, I was there before you were or something like <laughs> that. There should be like a joke there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If if it, if it was a comedy, but, you know, we're not necessarily dealing with comedy here unless it involves Officer Kelton or the captain with this weird bird.
0: Well, the, the bird I don't even think is really supposed to be. It's just there. I I, I don't think the bird. I think the bird is just what it is. It's exactly yeah. what you think it is, which is something. I don't know. But yeah, Officer Calton, definitely a bit of a Barney Fife vibe. A yeah, lot of definitely. yes sir, no sir.
1: That De- Absolutely, big time. We do um, see
0: him when he holds his gun. He has the shakiest gun in the West, just like the Don Knotts film title, which I've never seen. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anyone has, but there is a Don Knotts sheriff Western comedy called The Shakiest Gun in the West. <laughs>
1: oh man and man if only paul marco started in that one don Knotts was a talent
0: I'll, 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 oh no yeah absolutely don I, don I was Knotts being sarc- a comedic actor
1: i was right. being sarcastic there <laughs> right, uh, right paul marco was ju- not as talented as don Knotts. i'm just
0: saying i think we can be we can drop a joke where we can put loretta king as janet lawton in Mass. i just don't think we need to diminish don
1: Knotts. That's all i'm saying <laughs> <laughs> I'll, keep the, I'll keep the don not slender for another time right. I, get, I guess so back to the Straussky scene because
0: Straussky meets with vornoff and they know each other mm-hmm. uh they are colleagues or something from their home country wherever that was in eastern europe somewhere Stravski, I assume, would be like a Polish name because it's spelled with an I. I think if it's spelled with a Y, it would be like Ukrainian or Russian. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm not an expert on the Finno-Ugric languages. I can't get into this, nor do I even know if Polish is a Finno-Ugric language.
1: Well, I don't want to give Edward that much credit either because I don't think he would know the difference between if something has an I well, or hey, the Y. You know,
0: that's true. But hey, he, he, he was
1: he was very he was a very intuitive writer you know like whatever came got, to him. You've got a dude, dude from the it,
0: Balkans the here. Lugosi probably knew. That's true. He's, he's from Hungari- Hungary. I almost said Hungary. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that
1: is true. Uh, if if he cared enough, he could have corrected.
0: <laughs> I hate to say it, but Lugosi was probably just. I'd imagine Lugosi on the set is just. This is his heroin period this is just not a pleasant set for him you know yeah pretty I feel bad for the guy but let's get to his best scene mm-hmm. the Straussky scene so he so Straussky whatever country Straussky's come from their government shunned Vornov and all of his like atomic experiments they're like okay this is stupid your science is bad and then Lugosi goes in this like monologue which is actually, Again, not really performed that well, but there's something dramatic about it. I think it's even just like when an actor gets to a certain age, there's just like so much... Just looking at their face can tell a lot of stories, you know? It's like like, listen, I'm not saying Cry Macho is a great movie or anything, but seeing that 98-year-old Clint Eastwood kind of, you know, back in the saddle. There's just, like, something about that, you know? Yeah. So it's just, like, his face is—there's just something about it. And then, like, he's, he's just able to communicate so well, even when he's— because he's doing kind of goofy faces in this scene, like, really exaggerated kind of, like, with his mouth and his eyes especially. And Lugosi was always about the eyes, going back to Dracula and those, like, creepy stares and everything. That was always his strength as an actor, I guess. You know, if mm-hmm. you if you will.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's good that Ed Wood doesn't cut to a close up here, like he has, like he does in some of the other scenes.
0: Well, the well the close ups are are very specific. The close ups on Lugosi are very specific. They are to be inserted in place of the stunt double, basically.
1: Yeah, pretty pretty much, and they do not so they do not work.
0: No, no, absolutely. It doesn't look like he's on the same universe as that stunt double. Exactly. You know, just, like, the lighting is, I mean, it's not even a film in color, and I somehow feel like the color temperature is off in that scene.
1: <laughs> it's the old uh, Mystery Science Theater gag. He's, oh, I'm, oh, I'm in another dimension. Ah!
0: <laughs> I think, well, because I did see this um, episode again on Mystery Science Theater after I watched the movie, and I don't know if it's in that scene. I think it might be with the octopus. The first time we see the octopus, but Tom Servo was like, "Folks, try and connect these two shots oh, here, yeah. or something
1: like that." <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> but yeah, this this Lugosi speech is like kind of neat. He's talking about how he was taken away from his home country, he was taken away from his family, and it's like kind of neat, and it's like, wow. Yeah. I know how Dante felt when he got kicked out of Florence. It's great.
1: <laughs> I think it's the um, the the sadness that begins it. You know, if it was just him being yeah. like the mad... because he ends on a mad scientist note, saying like a race a race of people that will conquer the world. Yes, exactly. Um, but so if it just end if it was just at that speed the entire time, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't work. But instead, it begins with that really sad right. like home. I have no home.
0: That's a really good point. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So he's just... cool about the way he delivers lines, but that one thing right. that he starts uh-huh. off the speech with, that is like that. That just nails it. I think that's what keeps it effective throughout. You know, rather than yeah. uh, just starting at one hundred and just keeping it there.
0: I think that's fair. Yeah. He, he. It's. It's like I said. He's like the stock mad scientist character, and yet you usually don't see that. In the innate sadness in those characters and in this mm. one specifically we do does it really pay off later well not not really but i mean it works in this scene at least
1: Ed Wood's dialogue was just always goofy and you know and yes. this if you read it on the paper yeah it is a little goofy but i think it's the one time it almost it it escapes the goofiness of an Ed Wood movie and gets some kind of like honesty you know, like honest emotion, um, because right. Glenn or Glenda, I would absolutely go to bat for that movie okay. any day of the week. But it is still very strange and very goofy, and you can't really extract okay. <laughs> the two from each other. Uh, this is just like it, it is like real emotion in Bella Lugosi's face. You know, as as exaggerated as it is,
0: I would say even you you mentioned the dialogue being goofy. I would say. This is some of the least goofy dialogue we have. Some of the most is like just the back and forth kind of interactions and almost like inconsequential interactions of just like two people talking where it's not really about the plot so much. Like that's the really goofy stuff. Or it's not in this movie, but like all of Criswell's dialogue is just like, what? Who wrote this? Big time. You know, this is the, this, yeah, this is, uh, I don't want to, I don't know if I can say it's well-written, but it's different it's something different for sure well,
1: it's it's a little it's it's i guess cheesy is the wrong term it's a little um a little hard-boiled like the like Edward style is like just the john woo always... film <laughs> Um, no, hard-boiled may also be the wrong term for it, but stylized. He
0: just slips into Mandarin all of a sudden. I didn't see where that <laughs> was going. Well, I guess it'd be Cantonese, excuse me.
1: This is a little stylized still. Not, a, not as much so as, like, some of the other, as a lot of the other dialogue here, but it is still, like, um, it's not, it's not like, uh deeply emotional sentiment it is right um, yeah like i'm not going to do bella's emotion i'm not going to do bella's speech um or his accent or anything but here's the text as it reads on the page oh home we go. home i have no home hunted despised living like an animal the jungle is my home but i will show the world that i can be its master i will perfect my own race of people a race of atomic supermen which will conquer the world like, it really is Bella that sells it, above all else, I guess. Oh, 100%. Say, yeah. You know?
0: And it's Bella that makes it goofy at the end, too, because that's when the accent really, a Superman. you know, that's yeah. kind of where the accent, the goofiness of the accent shines through. Yeah. So he it, sells it all all the way good yeah, and he, bad you know? and
1: i i think he has to know like sometimes that he's in on the joke you know like he knows that it's not uh shakespeare necessarily but he's treating it like you know like yeah the he is city
0: yeah he is and in, in in credit to you always appreciate you know a former i'll say a-lister this is kind of an era where maybe there wasn't really you know what is an a-lister in, in the 30s i don't know but like he was a big name yeah, And here he is at the end of his career. He's in a, a terrible movie. He knows it's a terrible movie. He's He's been in... I actually don't think he has been in James Whale movies, but he's been in Todd Browning movies. He knows what a good movie looks like, what it feels like, what having a solid director is like on set. He knows what having significant funding for a film is like, probably. Yeah. And then he knows that this isn't that. Mm-hmm. But you 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 got to give credit to an actor that... Uh, commits to any you can look at any other movie like donald pleasance is giving it his all in halloween five and that's like he's above that i mean donald pleasance isn't the star that Lugosi is but like yeah i just like you know john carradine gave fully committed performances in some terrible movies you know
1: yeah, it's just it's that's the mark of uh, Betty Davis
0: later in her career was making utter nonsense and still giving it her all.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just the mark of a real star is someone who just like does not give in to like, you know, the cheapness of material to someone who make truck does whatever they can to make it work. You know, mm-hmm. and I think like that's why no one talks about um, the last 20, 30 years of Marlon Brando's career, very much is because he just didn't. When he's in the freshman and. Yeah, he just yeah. did not care. And mm-hmm. here's the old story that goes around about he said, oh, well, you know, I was uh, I test the director on their first day. I give them one take where I don't try at all. And I give them one take where yeah. I really try. And if they go for the take that I don't try and they think that's good enough, then I just don't try the entire film. And I'm like, you mm-hmm. piece of shit.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. And you can imagine a director, especially the director who's younger than him, which is probably the case most of the time is intimidated by brando
1: of course and then he he, because he's brando yeah and then he just like he just like uses that against them the entire the entire production uh so so but that's why like you don't like he's he was in movies but people just don't talk about them at all and but people still talk about
0: yeah to, to a lot of people brando's career ends with apocalypse now basically
1: yeah and even then he like was already starting to like fade a lot just well yeah
0: fade. but but you at least had an egomaniacal director who fought back in that case i think yeah thank god for that
1: um <laughs> I guess, but yeah. you had uh but yeah but bella lugosi john carradine uh betty davis absolutely but john carradine even betsy palmer on friday
0: the 13th she's given it her all for a movie that she
1: thought was utter shit absolutely you know it's she they, just wanted they, a new car that's the story <laughs> got you know it's just i'm really happy that we have people like that or actors with that level of dignity you know because sometimes people mm-hmm. will say people will say oh well you're in this shitty movie you're in this schlock movie right now you know it's, that's that's got to be a major hit to your dignity no if they're able to like really try and give it their all i'd say that they succeeded beyond uh you know like if they didn't try at all of course
0: yeah absolutely although i mean some performances where like an actor isn't trying at all are really fun, but I mean they're, they're, those are I don't even want to say they're few and far befe- between. But some of those, are, some of those are quite fun. But then again, I'll take a Bela Lugosi over a Bruce Willis any day. You, and you know, I, I have a feeling you know exactly, exactly what I'm talking about.
1: Pretty much. Bruce Willis they're...
0: has not given a shit in decades.
1: Exactly. <laughs> even in movies like that, he like movies that are like written for him. He's just yeah. like, ah, I don't care. It's a paycheck. Well, at this point, it's like almost any movie that you're going to have Bruce Willis in is written for him on some level. He just does not right. care at all. Unfortunately, the talent of the strauss lagosi Lugosi scene does not last. Throughout the rest well, of the even, movie.
0: even before the scene's done, it gets incredibly goofy because this is our first Lobo sneaking up on people where he's just there. <laughs> and he's just there he's just the there he's like before. strowski's standing up lobos right behind him he has no idea and lugosi just has another line or two and then strowski pulls out the gun and then lobo <laughs> Lobo grabs him it's like oh man that is that is bad but we get another one of those scenes later though so yeah. stay tuned folks <laughs> but yeah so and here at this point it's kind of like i don't really know what's happening at, at some point the two cops you know dick dick craig right and that other guy who's i don't know if we ever get his name They there's call... someone
1: there's someone in the credits named mac but that could be one of the hunters yeah, in the i beginning. did see that's that probably mac
0: else. but i don't know they, they they call the bird captain at some point captain robbins yeah like they before they you say, even like, said
1: his name you just said the bird captain well because that's that's his
0: character he's got a bird for a no defining reason. trait
1: yeah absolutely yeah
0: they call and say like, hey, we, we, Straussky didn't come with us. Well, first of all, he's like, and now you get back and don't let Straussky out of your sight. But they mentioned that Straussky was never there. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> Does he think they're going to find him again? I don't know. But I think they say something like, hey, we found Janet's car or something and we're looking for her. Yeah. But I don't know where Mac goes and we're calling him Mac, whether or not that's Mac. I don't know. But eventually, eventually, Dick Craig sneaks into the house, or he doesn't sneak in. The door is just unlocked. He just goes in. But before that, we have again going back to I guess Janet's hypnotized now. She's dressed up as a bride. Mm-hmm. She is on one of those operating tables, and um, then Lobo is too slow to hook her up, chain her up, whatever. So Belugosi starts whipping him again. Yeah. No, well, first of all, I think they feed uh, Strausky to the. Octopus, but who yeah, cares? That was, the that monster the is the least just. Inter- inter- the monster is the least interesting thing about this monster movie. Well, the strowski
1: scene is the one where you can really tell that those octopus legs are not moving yes. at all. That yes, he really yeah, has true. to. It has to work hard if he's going to make it look believable, and it does not. Mm-hmm. And it's no, not even no, it's, the octopus it's... isn't even like in the first scene. At least the octopus is in like this tiny little pond. In this scene, it looks yeah. like the octopus is just in a closet. <laughs> That's yeah, the best way to describe
0: I it. I don't disagree. <laughs> so Janet is tied up and then Lobo rebels against his master. Yep. And why? Well, I mean, I why is he he's being whipped? But he so what does he do? He he well, well, I guess first before he rebels, Dick Craig finds his way through the secret passage in the fireplace and shows up here. Lobo attacks him and they end up tying him up or chaining him up. Um, but again that's another where like Lobo just shows up behind him and he didn't notice this yeah. giant 700 pound man there. <laughs> I don't know. Um,
1: I mean he's breathing with his mouth open the whole time too That's so true he to at, least, right. at least heard that or something.
0: So this is when Lobo rebels against his master. so what he frees Janet right mm-hmm. I think so. yeah yeah then he fights Bell Lugosi's stunt double. at some point he was chained up but at some point Craig is knocked out. And this entire scene, this entire Lobo versus Lugosi stunt double fight, the entire time Janet is just, like, hovering near the unconscious Dick Craig and just, like, they're, she's just, like, watching the fight. There's, there's no urgency to, like, get him up and get out of there. Even as machinery in the lab is, like, starting on fire and exploding and stuff like that, they're just, like, just like sitting back watching the movie just like you or I, and it's great. <laughs>
1: Uh, uh, yeah i love that moment yeah
0: it's just well it's i mean it's so many cutaways too it's that if it was just like one and but yeah it's 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 like half the scene it's just cutting back between those two things but lobo ties chains up dr vornoff and at this point vornoff with janet was she, she was going to be his original like i'm going to make this person a superman superwoman super girl
1: i guess it's not like completely clear but yeah yeah
0: it's not that clear but this he says something like that but then lobo does this to lobo who we've been led to believe is just this this brute who doesn't understand anything
1: yeah um is able to
0: figure out how to get the machinery work and then (laughs) works works the uh (laughs) works the the uh the the he works the experiment on um lugosi
1: Lobo will create so then, his own race of people.
0: Right, his is Lobo's race of people, and then, um, <laughs> then the, the, so they fight after that. Excuse me, I'm I'm sorry, I'm getting mixed up. But they fight after that. Uh, honestly, Lugosi everything is double. a blur
1: for me in this around this part of the movie.
0: At this point, yes. Once we get to the stunt, once we get to stunt double territory, it's just like none of this matters. It's like what's going on.
1: Nothing matches. Although I will up. say none one of, of it the matters.
0: Lugosi had two stunt doubles for this movie, or two two not so much stunt doubles. They just stand ins, whatever they'd call. Really, call yeah. Them. And one of them. Is the guy who all, was also his double for Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman. Oh, which wow. we back in October, Jim and I did a commentary track for that on our Patreon. And I was thinking like I'm like, some of these scenes has to be a stunt double, but at the same time, what a pain in the ass for to, to make a stunt double. Like if I'm making a movie and Bell Lugosi has to sit a couple hours in the makeup chair, I'm saying, Hey, you're doing all your own stunts because we're not <laughs> we're not taking the time <laughs> to do this for a stunt double, right? I oh, well, agree I completely, agree. A for that.
1: I completely yeah. <laughs> so, agree, but at the same time, like dear God, like you're only paying the man a thousand dollars how, much, well, how and much it should can be noted to really get out of him
0: and and at this point, I mean there's the stunt double once we get stunt double versus lobo fight, the stunt double is a good foot taller than Bella Lugosi. oh yeah, big at time. least I would say but to be fair, this is after the the Superman Rice of Pipple experiment has happened, so maybe it's made him taller. You know, I'm, I'm willing to accept that, but I'm just saying like it's a very obvious double, but it's a fun fight. He like breaks some glass over Tor Johnson's head <laughs> and um, Janet and well, no, Janet does not get away. Janet gets picked up by Lobo. Oh, no. Which one does she get? No, she gets picked up by Belugosi because Lobo probably dies in the fire. Apparently he comes back for the sequel, which I haven't seen, but but you know we're led to believe that he was dead.
1: Well, it's it's a loose sequel, you know. They always say it's a sequel, but it's it's really just it is Ed Wood though, right? Yeah, it's Ed Wood. It's just okay. like the same ca- the same characters, like a couple of characters appear, but it's not like they're saying, "Oh, this is just like that one time with Dr. Varnoff and all that okay, stuff." Okay, so it's know? it's
0: it's the Hobgoblins 2 of the Ed Wood uh, filmography probably.
1: Assuming that I That's what I've been led to
0: believe is what Hobgoblins 2 is. It's the same characters but no real continuity.
1: I've avoided Hobgoblins 2 to this date
0: but uh well, one day it one only day came I out like it.
1: a few years ago right i mean yeah
0: yeah no don't don't get me wrong i have not seen hobgoblins 2 i've barely made it through hobgoblins 1 although i've probably seen it like five times at this point it's <laughs> awful anyways back to a movie that's actually better than hobgoblins and i'm not kidding. that is true it is so, better than hobgoblins bella lugosi stunt double picks up janet and they leave. Craig gets Craig finds the other cops, which at this point includes Captain Robbins, who is without his bird, and it includes what was that guy's name, the Barney Fife guy, uh, Kelton. Kelton, yeah. So Kelton and Kelton's about to shoot Bellegosi as he's carrying Janet, and Craig is like, "No, no, no! Like you idiot! He's he's carrying her." So they they eventually he I guess sets her down, or maybe drops her, or something. <laughs> <laughs> then then everyone starts shooting at him. And these this is, these are the famous Bela Lugosi close-up cutaways, which are among the worst-looking shots I've ever seen in a motion picture. <laughs> well, because it's like, Lugosi very clearly doesn't know what he's doing as an actor. No. Like, they, they probably just said, make a face.
1: Yeah, like, do, we're gonna just going to get this shot of you walking this way. Yeah, uh, but but he's
0: supposed to be reacting to, like, he's being shot, I think, but he's really just making, like, goofy faces. Yeah, just say, like, be
1: be menacing or something. I don't know. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was the one direction. I'm I'm willing to bet. (laughs) Be be menacing. Be scary. (laughs) Be scary, 95-year-old Bela Lugosi. Pull it off.
1: Be scary it's, and you we'll were great cut and around right it zombie, to make it man. really, really impressive. And, right, uh, it and does so not work one bit.
0: It's just awful, and uh, I mean that's why it's wonderful. And then the boulder <laughs> goes after him. R- and, remember and the get... boulder,
1: the famous boulder from earlier in the movie.
0: Was this earlier in the
1: movie? No, it do- it's not. It just shows up. Well,
0: well why did you it's have to just... say... Oh, we're not even sure we're in the same location as earlier in the exactly. movie. I mean, we do- this need to but be set up? But it's a boulder.
1: <laughs> like
0: Yeah, in the-, the boulder, the way it's just sitting there, it's like very clearly a prop. It's like, oh, I wonder if that's going to roll down the hill.
1: It's just like these things don't just show up out of nowhere. You just all of a I sudden mean- you have a boulder there. It's so... Yeah it's, it's it just adds to like just how confusing and baffling the last 10 minutes of this movie is. Right.
0: And when I do enjoy the close up of Bell Lugosi as the boulder hits him, which obviously the boulder's not hitting him, but Bell Lugosi just kind of like leans back with like a terrified face <laughs> on his expression. And that's that's the boulder running him over. And if I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, but I want to say in the shot we get of like the boulder actually kind of hitting the actor or maybe not quite hitting him, but yeah. the stunt double like moves forward and Lugosi moves back. So
1: completely not matching shots. I would need to check that Great out, stuff. Because at that point, I'm, is I could be mistaken but
0: me. yeah nothing is matching so i mean maybe you know is it that much better if he doesn't do that probably not but then speaking of nothing matching or nothing making sense bella lugosi's stunt double ends up in the cradle of the octopus i guess somehow, so,
1: somehow. the boulder the, pushed the, him there the, the, the boulder the boulder that the boulder we all know and love which was not in the vicinity then, of
0: this lake or pond or swamp whatever it is
1: yeah it just pushes into the pond that the pond and that is connected to the stock to footage if someone could lay yes. out the geography of this uh whole area here that would be great
0: oh yeah they say like the interior geography of like the overlook hotel is intentionally confusing listen you have not seen an edward film <laughs> this feels like it has to be intentional and it's not it's just bad filmmaking <laughs> but that's what's fantastic about it yeah but we haven't even gotten to the most confusing part of the scene because there's an atomic bomb explosion <laughs> we cut to stock footage of an atomic bomb testing stuff
1: that just happens
0: it that's supposed to be lugosi and the monster blowing up because again there's some kind of loose (sighs) atom bomb type thing with the experiments and this monster again which we've debated if it is is it even a monster it's just an animal yeah it's been born out of his atomic experiments but it blows up and again atomic bomb big explosion right well, mm-hmm. characters five feet away are like, "Oh, that's weird," and they're just like wow. looking at us. But we see the the stock footage, and it's this giant mushroom cloud, and it's like, "Okay, <laughs> shouldn't this entire area be devastated?" It's so weird, and they're, they just they cut back to it a few times. It's almost as if the bomb goes off more than once.
1: Yeah, they're really it really emphasizing it. Fantastic,
0: it's wonderful. And then I've teased it already, but we get the best line of the movie. First of all, who delivers it? Is it Captain Robbins? I think it's Captain Robbins
1: uh yeah i think so definitely too po definitely too poetic for uh dick craig
0: oh yeah or declan or whatever that guy's name is too what's that guy's name
1: kelton kelton yeah.
0: excuse me yeah no kelton <laughs> kelton would have butchered this line but again in edward's attempt to have a it was beauty killed the beast you know the line that the ending line that kind of sums up the theme of the movie sort of thing <laughs> Captain Robbins just just looks there. He's with um Dick Craig and Janet Reno or whatever her name is <laughs> and he says he tampered in God's domain.
1: With uh, now Captain Robbins has not been here like at yeah, all. Yeah, he doesn't like, to even know, really know to what's, know what's know going on. Any He's like the of audience the context here. in this, but he but he just speaks the truth, right? Yeah, standard. he doesn't he know tam- anything about
0: the experiments. That's a good point. The only one who yeah. really does of the characters who are here is Janet. I guess um dick craig did find a thing of um some paperwork and it was really just bella headshots but maybe <laughs> it's implied that he found like, some that. experiment stuff yeah. so maybe he knows a little bit but you're right captain robbins it, of all the people here he's the least qualified to, to make a <laughs> s- summation like that <laughs> but, but regardless um, of the put, line to itself put a big
1: big button on this whole story you know he tampered in
0: god's domain what a line It's It's like
1: a thing of beauty, you know, does
0: it tie to anything in the movie? I mean, a a tiny bit. It it has no business being spoken at this point in the film, (laughs) but it's fantastic. What a line.
1: Yep. You know, honestly, talk about an epitaph one day if it, i think at like you even though i would not rank this with my favorite ed wood movies that's right. the kind of thing like you could just that's the long- that's
0: what you write on ed wood's grave
1: stone, that's what i was about right? to say yeah t- right on his tombstone <laughs> yeah. Edw- edward edward d wood jr domain. he tampered in god's domain <laughs> right
0: <laughs> no that, that's maybe what i put on david carradine's headstone given <laughs> he went. But um, <laughs> yeah no it's what a what a line what a Absolutely. line what a film i think yeah. we i i ended up enjoying talking about this a lot more than i thought i would actually so
1: oh yeah i mean really like this conversation is a lot more entertaining than bride of the monster itself all right well There's i was about mon- to ask
0: you what do you think of this film but yes I'm <sighs> some um
1: it's uh this is a few really boring stretches you know, oh like, no, no like, doubt. Like no you've doubt. gotta, you gotta really be in for the long haul to to make it through all seventy minutes of this on its own.
0: Seventy minutes. I, lo- I can I just say how much I miss old movies. It's just like so- a like a B movie that's seventy minutes. Like it's just we're not waste. I mean, we we are talking about how this movie does waste time, and it's probably belo- It should be like a fifty five minute movie. But if I'm completely not really engaged in the movie, like. Make it 70 minutes, make it 80 minutes. Don't, you know, I don't want to see it an Exactly, and I've got, and the then monster, I, can just, I, I just
1: keep checking my watch, and I'm like, okay, well, we don't have that much longer.
0: Of all the actors I've seen in multiple films, and I'll say, like, maybe a minimum of five, Bella Lugosi has to have the shortest average length movie because all those Universal Monster movies are 70 minutes. This Probably. is 68 minutes or whatever. Well, Son of Frankenstein's, like, an hour 40, and he is in that yeah, but so is Karloff and Karloff, you know, Targets is probably like an hour 40. You know, I've seen some later Karloff movies, you know, mm-hmm. the the Corman movies. And so it's like, OK, maybe yeah, his, those kind of bump up his average movie length. But yeah, Legosi got to be
1: literally the only people I can think. Not that I've seen many of these movies, but literally the only other people I could think of would be like the freaking Bowery Boys, you know, where. um Oh, yeah, those like kinds all of all those things. all those B movies for Poverty Road were like 50 minutes long. But anyways, yeah, Bride of the Monster, I would say not very good, not as enjoyable as like some of the like the most hilarious Ed Wood movies, but good Bela Lugosi performance overall, you know, really enjoyable to watch at the very least when he's on screen.
0: His goofy faces, his great monologue. Yeah, he's he's one of the more enjoyable parts for sure. There
1: are a lot of reasons to watch it. You know, I would say, yeah, check it out. I think that's fair. You know, I think... I think it's not a good starting place for Ed Wood. If you want to know more about this crazy filmmaker, this is not him at his craziest or at his no. most entertaining. Uh but it is Or at his lowest budget. Yeah, that too. It's probably at his Ed, Ed
0: most um limited in terms of I have one shot of Bela Lugosi, and I'm going to pretend Bela Lugosi's in this movie. So here's this guy covering his face with a cape. Like, there's nothing yeah. like that.
1: In yeah, this when movie. you first read about Ed Wood, that's the kind of stuff you want to see. So you won't get much of that here. Right. But it is, Uh, it does have a lot of parts that make it enjoyable. And I definitely put it on over, like, you know, a lot of, like, modern movies, uh, modern, like, action sci-fi movies any day of the week just for sheer enjoyment nostalgia factor
0: right yeah there's
1: enjoyment to be had
0: here I, I i agree it's not the bad movie the b-movie masterpiece that plan nine or the room or samurai cop or you know insert bad movie your troll two mm-hmm. it's not that it's an entertaining yeah bad movie it's an entertaining b-movie you see little glimpses of the complete ineptitude of ed wood but it's it, a lot of the, like the b movie staples like the shots not matching the poor integration of stock footage it's not the most entertaining thing to see in a bad movie but when it happens as often and as blatantly as it does here when it's in the entire climax of the movie it's still pretty fun
1: yeah, the climax of the movie is just – it's its worth the price of admission alone just to be completely right. baffled by. Um, and <laughs> I think it is interesting that it's not as technically inept or strange as Ed Wood's other movies, and that almost makes it more yeah. boring – because like it almost the more it feels like a real movie the more or the more it feels like a normal movie it starts and again
0: i'm only comparing it to plan nine but it is definitely more of a normal like it feels more like a like a you know the 50 sci-fi monster movies you'd see it's just a worse version of that plan nine is kind of its own thing yeah exactly It's,
1: it's its own beast completely and but Ed Wood is just in general, like, you know, it's it's not filled with a bunch of this famous stuff you go to Ed Wood for, but it's the falling it's, tombstones, all that stuff. It's it's pretty fun, pretty fun on its own level. Just fast forward through some of the, you know, interminable cop scenes.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I will say the dialogue is funnier and goofier than than I remembered the from because it's been a while since I've seen an Ed Wood movie of any kind yeah and again really i've only seen the two well maybe a couple other ones i don't really remember but yeah mm-hmm. it's i that's how i i agree with you it's 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 good it's it's you're right it's not the best if you want to know who ed would as a filmmaker and if he was the worst filmmaker ever which you know i think for a long time that was just accepted as gospel but you know not there's not so many. True. yeah well i mean jesus franco I, i'd have to mention him I think I've seen something he was referred to as, like, the European Ed Wood or something at one point. And I'm like, eh, that's it's probably pretty accurate. Yeah. There's so many others. There's so many others I'm sure I'm not even aware of. Exactly. Yeah. But no, yeah, this isn't the best example of his distinct lack of talents, but it is a solid example.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And if you're in the mood for, you know, sort of like a goofy old sci-fi movie, you could do a lot worse. Oh, sure. Yeah, This is more entertaining than Robot Monster.
0: Robot Monster is just walking around in the desert in yep. a goofy gorilla suit. That's all that movie
1: is. Absolutely. Well, I mean, that, that suit does go a long way. That's true. That, that suit it always. never stops <laughs> being fascinating, the fact that you're That's watching uh, die in a gorilla that, suit that with true. a diving that helmet the best on.
0: example. <laughs> so, which of these two movies do you prefer? Like, which did you find more entertaining?
1: Well, I don't know if it was too obvious from the way I talked, but I definitely prefer Mass Experiment okay. uh, to, to the two of them, uh, just as, as the, and I'm the kind of guy who would not, I'm the kind of guy who wouldn't really separate good movies from quote-unquote bad movies. If I get okay. enjoyment out of it, that is definitely something that is a huge factor for me, uh, no matter okay. if that enjoyment might be unintentional on the original part right. of the filmmaker, but Bride of the Monster doesn't do it for me as much as a lot of other bad movies do, uh, and Quatermass is just really solid storytelling all around. Yes. So, so I'm I'm one hundred percent behind Quatermass here.
0: I agree with you, and and I kind of am one to distinguish between what I enjoy for it being good and what I enjoy for it being bad, with the exception of Sleepaway Camp, which breaks my brain because it's both simultaneously. Yeah, um, that having been said, like I, nine times out of ten a good bad movie, like a bad movie that I just really enjoy versus a good movie that I enjoy. I'm usually going to take the good movie, especially unless the exception being if the bad movie is like one of the all time great bad movies. Yeah. Um, Or if, you know, and even then it might take like a, me not to love the good movie. And in this case, I don't love Quatermass. I think it is a very good movie, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I got to go with Quatermass for me. It's kind of close though, because Bride of the Monster, that, last scene does a lot to kind of save it to kind of redeem it i should say that last scene the, the line alone he tampered in god's domain it's just like you don't even know who this guy was why are you saying that
1: I just get really bored in the middle. I think that's the main thing that drags it down for yeah. me. But the beginning, the beginning I and the disagree. ending are both great. You know, and uh, yeah. like I said, it has the great scene in the middle. That's like legitimately not even so bad. It's good. Just pretty, pretty good scene.
0: Yeah, it's bordering on a quality scene. Exactly. So, Kevin, mm-hmm. how do you think this stacks up as a double feature?
1: Well, I actually did watch them back to back, and there are right. like a, so a couple personal experience good, here couple quality comparisons there between the two of them um you do have sort of like veiled social not well not veiled there really isn't much commentary at all in quater mass but you know i did no see, there's
0: shockingly more in bride of the monster it's yeah hackneyed though it may be
1: but it, you, there is still a sense of like post world war life sure. in general and i think that they make a an okay double feature not completely complementary, but they both seem to function in sort of the same world i yeah. can imagine a lot worse for a double feature yeah we got a similar monster if nothing else kind of <laughs> that's true well yeah that's true you got like a a weird sort of blob creature with a lot of like really long arms all and then you got an actual octopus that's just yeah, pretty I much think. an octopus
0: yeah i i believe this is a very good double feature and I'm going to focus really on one aspect and I've I've heard people maybe people who aren't the biggest fans of like 50s sci-fi monster movies and because a lot of those are very good mm-hmm. but I've heard people say like again even what you said just now like they're worse directors than Ed Wood yeah there are but I think like I've heard some people argue that like Ed Wood wasn't even that much worse than like your average 50s sci-fi monster horror movie and it's like and I think those people, when they say stuff like that, really do a disservice to something like Quatermass, which is a genuinely very good movie by today's standards. It's, you know, um, so, so I think this is an interesting, like, you see the A movie and the B movie kind of from, in this case, literally the same year. Yeah. Just certain similar, maybe not themes, but certain similar aspects to it. And you kind of see that handled in like a quality A movie, genuine classic form. And then also this kind of culty schlocky kind of thing. I think that's that makes for an interesting viewing. So that's yeah. that's really where I stand on that.
1: I can definitely see the, the comparison between the two. These are comparing it in terms of like the A movie and the B movie. It does yeah. feel like a double bill where like you yeah, because this is Quater the era Mass of the,
0: of the double bill thing yeah.
1: exactly so this would be like you pay for quater mass experiment and then you get this <laughs> weird other movie where there's an octopus is the monster yeah yeah and,
0: and you know if you fall asleep during the middle you know you're not missing anything <laughs> yeah exactly as long as you but wake the, up for
1: that ending scene there's that dracula guy who looks uh, he, he looks familiar right yeah i saw him in something <laughs> before you know yeah i can see it working that way all right well kevin thank you for
0: joining me and of course um, Listeners, thank you for joining us. And here's what we've got up next week. We've got another 50 sci-fi classic in The Fly. And then we've got another all-out classic schlocky monster movie in King Kong vs. Godzilla. So stay tuned for that. Jim will be joining me as usual next week. And as always, we appreciate you wanting to hear what we have to say. And yeah, Thanks again, Kevin. Of course. Thank you so much
1: don't go tampering in god's domain on my watch i'll try my best you know i still i the, you know what i have to do now what's that i'm going to start
0: again oh yeah start, i thought you were going over. i thought you were going to go there but i forgot what the line was so i forgot like, what the line so was so too I would, as i, I wanted was saying to complete it. it for you i wanted to complete it for you but i genuinely forgot <laughs> that's why it's not a better line